He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, April 1, 2023. No April Fools. Donald J. Trump has been indicted in New York. At the end of my interview with Terrence Roberts, I have a great talk with our troubadour, Dave Gunders. We feature his song, Talking in Tongues, and we talk about Donald Trump and his arrest Coming up on Tuesday, his indictment, what it means, great discussion. I just do want to mention, before we get to Terrence Roberts, that this is an inflection point in history. And it's a civil war in the sense that people who I used to like and respect, people with microphones who are still on the Trump side or are complicit with their silence, Consider what's happened just in the last week or so. The man posted a picture of himself with a baseball bat against the elected prosecutor, state prosecutor in Manhattan. He did that. George Brockler, former prosecutor, I have not heard him condemn that. I look at his Twitter feed. I don't see it there. I don't see it on the part of Kaplis, Dan Kaplis, my former partner, who is taking the position as political prosecution, and if it happens in Fulton County, that will be the same. Same with Jack Smith. Donald Trump's innocent of everything. It's persecution. Dan, George, can't even talk to Randy Corcoran because he's so far gone. Maybe he was never there, but holy cow, fellas, before you go down that road, Could you consider that picture of him threatening Alvin Bragg with that bag? Can you think about that dinner at Mar-a-Lago with Nick Fuentes, neo-Nazi Nick Fuentes, Groyper Powell, and Michelle Malkin? What are you guys doing? And Kanye West there, noted anti-Semite. Are you down with that? Would you have liked to have been the fourth at that dinner? Then how about that January 6th song? Put your hand over your heart and sing along with Donald Trump and the J6 prisoners that he's going to free and he's just giving the go signal to anybody who wants to do that kind of thing on his behalf right now. And that's okay with you guys? Whoa. Holy cow. You've lost me there and lost a lot of people. This is a dividing line. And I ask you just once again to think about what you are doing and the direction you are leading people. Terrence Roberts, I love his introspection. We talk about amazing things during this comprehensive interview with the star of The Holly, this major mayoral candidate in Denver who is smart, And he provides one of the best interviews I've ever had. 
It's about growing up in Denver with his father gone, his father reemerges in his life as demonstrated in the movie The Holly. I read the book. I know Julian Rubinstein. This is my third or fourth show. Covering The Holly, the movie is amazing. Troubadour Dave Gunders said he loved it. Terrence Roberts leaps off the screen. He's a larger-than-life character, and he got big in prison, physically big. But he let his mind grow, too. He exposed himself to Martin Luther King. In the book, they talk about Barack Obama. He and I talk about everything. And eventually, his run for mayor of Denver. And he has a chance. All these people have a chance. He's done well during this campaign, During the movie, you will see it that he gets mad at the prosecutor, starts cursing the DA, who is Mitch Morrissey. They don't say Morrissey's name during the movie, but we say it during this podcast. And I wondered, as did George Roberts, Terrence's father, about the advisability of running down the prosecutor who has your life in their hands at a trial. And, of course, Donald Trump has said things about Alvin Bragg, and Terrence Roberts doesn't like that comparison, but it makes for a great interview. And I thank him very much for providing it. You will enjoy. First break with Michael Bailey, the attorney for Trish and me. Hopefully your attorney is soon. And then we come back to Denver mayoral candidates Terrence Roberts, He, too, wants to be mayor. What an episode 142. Enjoy. Gosh, it's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. (laughs) Now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblaw LLC.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, Instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 
Gosh, I'm excited to have a one-on-one opportunity with Terrence Roberts, probably the most interesting candidate in the Denver mayoral sweepstakes. He's led quite a life. He's a Denverite through and through, and I like that about him because I am too. Welcome back, Terrence Roberts. You've been on before with Julian Rubenstein promoting the movie The Holly. We will get into that, but I want to give you a one-on-one opportunity like the other major mayoral candidates, and I consider you one of them. Uh, congratulations on running a fine campaign. I really appreciate it. We've been working hard, and thanks for getting me back on the show. Tell me about uh, yourself. Tell the audience, too. We went through it a little bit on prior podcasts, but describe your upbringing in Denver and particularly The Holly. Honestly, I've watched your movie a couple of times. I read the book. I saw raw footage before Julian got it uh, all Hollywooded up. It's great flick. Everybody should watch it on Amazon Prime. But uh, I was struck by the fact that you said, I would die for The Holly. And I grew up in Virginia Village, and I, I guess I never thought about it that way. It's just a different mindset Got me to thinking, would I die for Denver? I mean, I love Denver and all of that, but just that portion of your movie was so powerful. Tell everybody why you love the place you grew up, the Holly. I mean, when you when you come from a neighborhood like Northeast Park Hill that has suffered from um, violence, uh, trauma, uh, very positive times, a lot of strong leadership and ideology around the community. And there's also, um, you know, systemic racism. There's all these different things, food injustices. You know, you 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 kind of build, especially when you're a teenager, you know, you, you build an identity around uh, your community. That's all you know. And really at that time, especially with the introduction of crack cocaine into the community, more tribal violence, youth violence coming from youth from the five points, um, Aurora, Mambello, Park Hill was like our own little island and oasis. And at the time, I almost did die <laughs> for that community several times. Of, of course, I'm 46 years old. I'm, I'm not, you know, trying to die for a community I don't own. But at that time, yes, I mean, we it, it was a different time. It was a different day, and and, and tribalism ruled the ruled the land at the time. And when I was 13, 14, 15. And that's all we kind of had were, were each other. That was my surrogate family. So yes, at the time I did feel that way. And a lot of us did. And some people did die for that community. And like I said earlier, I almost did. Luckily I didn't, but some people actually did. And some people are still doing time for crimes that we committed as kids, you know, collectively just in, in you know, going back and forth in the street gang, fighting for that community and now all those other kids we were fighting, some of those guys are my very best friends. It's it's just so how ironic how life turns out now that we're mature adults. But yeah, at the time, the late 80s, early 90s, it was a war zone in Northeast Denver. And nobody wants to say that, but it was. It's okay for us to say 93 was the summer of violence. But we fought short of admitting that we had a youth violence issue then. And obviously, we still have that same issue now in 2013, I mean, 2023. And I'm telling you about the summer of violence of 1993. Same conversation, but it's our kids. Right. I, I was right there. 
I was a veteran chief deputy at that point. And so I was on the front lines dealing with uh, the problems between the Crips, the Bloods, the overall community. But back to you, you did have strong family roots. Your grandma had a restaurant, your dad a prominent preacher. I mean, how long has your family been in Denver? And tell everybody how well-established parts of your family were. Well, so my my mom's mother, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, she came from Arkansas, actually. She was born in Mississippi, raised in Arkansas. She moved here um, to Denver in the 50s, and then she brought all of her 10 brothers and sisters with her, mainly all sisters, and then it was two brothers. So my grandmother is the matriarch of our family. Um, her and, and my grandfather, who he was from Louisiana, they were selling fish out the out of the back of their pickup truck. He ended up passing away, and they opened. She opened up a and a fish market on Twenty Eighth and Fairfax. Uh, now it's a big box development, uh, has a sexy pizza and other things over there. But at that time, it was Twenty Eight Ninety Six Fairfax, and that was the biggest business on the on that side of the block. And uh, my whole family worked there. We all cleaned fish. We all, you know, worked in the restaurant. That small business sustained pretty much my whole family to branch us off into other careers and jobs as we got older. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that was part of the pride I had for the community. You is, must have been well fed as a kid, right? You never went hungry with your grandma having a restaurant. Do you like fish? Oh, I love cat. I mean, I love fried fish. So even though I'm mainly, I was vegetarian. I became vegetarian after she passed away um, because she died of diabetes, partly because of all of that food. <laughs> it's full of carbohydrates, full of sugar, but it's that's the soul food diet, um, full of grease and oil. Um, but I still will eat some catfish every now and then. That's what, actually one of my favorite meals to eat is fried catfish. And yes, not only was I well fed, but she fed all of my friends. My grandmother f- fed that whole community. Um, even though she had a business there and she could offer up, you know, leftover free food sometimes, she still had her struggles. It was still a small business um, in Northeast Denver. And she she worked her butt off. And that's that's how I got so heavily involved with gangs is when I had to end up moving in with her. She was gone 15, 16 hours a day, every single day. She was open seven days a week. And uh, I had a lot of free time to get involved with things that I shouldn't have versus us having quality after-school programs and things of that nature. The Bloods were my after-school program at the time. Before we go a moment further, I was kind of shocked and saddened at the end of the Holly, the movie version, to know that your father passed, George Roberts, prominent Denver clergyman. So sorry about your loss during the pandemic. Um, Tell everybody about your dad. He was a major character in Denver, too. Yeah, if you uh, watch the Holly documentary, you'll see every time you see him, he's on my right-hand side. And that was purposeful. He always said, like, I'm your right-hand man, and this is where your friends should be. And, you know, anybody who got your back, they're supposed to be be here with you. And, and he represented that, um, and, you know, in real time. He, When I was growing up, my father had moved to Oakland, California, and San Francisco, so he was living in the Bay Area. I go there to see him, but he was still in his 20s himself. He was still young. Then in his early 30s, he was messing up using drugs, being a thug himself. He actually didn't move back to Denver until I got shot in my back in 1993 um, because my back was really damaged. It broke my pelvic bone. 
Um, but then it went into my stomach. It, it messed my nerves up and my back putting pressure on them. And then my stomach, it punctured my upper and my lower intestine. So I had a huge scar from my abdomen to my chest with metal staples. And I had a huge hole in my back. And my grandmother had to run her restaurant. So my father actually, to dry himself out from what was going on in California, that's when me and him really got closest after I got shot because he had to live with my grandmother to get himself on his feet and take care of me. <laughs> and that's when more me and him really got close. And he, was, he wasn't saved yet. He wasn't preaching or anything yet. He actually didn't get saved until I ended up going to prison later. And then he told me over the phone about you know him changing his life. And I got and when I got out of jail, after I had changed my life, that's when me and him were really able to also rekindle and get more closer because I was in the halfway house and he was driving me around to get a job. And he really believed in me, you know, and, you know, I, that job at Einstein Bagels led to me going to the Denver Children's Home, led to me learning how to run a nonprofit and getting Prodigal Son on his feet. Then it led to me going full time with Prodigal Son and being in the hobby. Wow. But that's my relationship yeah, right. with my dad. And, and your change, um, and I know, I don't know you personally, but I read the book and then I saw the movie and it seemed to me your change was more around politics. You understanding who Martin Luther King was, who Barack Obama was, and what you could do politically as opposed to a, a religious change, which you talked about your dad who became a Christian clergyman. I don't know. Maybe you are saved religiously. Are you? Yeah. No, I mean, you know, and I know most of your crowd is a Jewish crowd, but I believe in the Jewish community. I, I have love for all communities, but I do believe in Jesus Christ. I, I don't go to church on Sundays. I don't believe in religion. Um, I think religion and relationship with God are two different things. Um, but I definitely believe uh, in the word, the Old Testament, and I do believe in the New Testament. Those are my religious beliefs. Have you, and, al uh, have you always believed that, or did your dad help you come to that? No, well, I grew up, you know, my grandmother was really big in the church. Um, a lot of her money actually went to tithing to a lot of the Northeast Denver black churches. Um, a lot of those churches are, are closing down now. But um, we were always raised in the church. And we always felt like within the African-American community, um, the church was really the foundation for the civil rights movement um, and for a lot of you know, a lot of the positive things that were coming from some of the poverty and the migration from the South, we felt like the church was like that, that, that staple in the community. And there were other, you know, religions and other people doing other things, but my family felt like it was within the church that the stability um, for the black community was. And um, I right, still that, that those, those other temptations that may have been out there, in Oakland for your dad, maybe for you in Denver, Nation of Islam, Louis Farrakhan. Uh, did you ever think maybe that's the way? I mean, not really, because I was raised in the church. Um, even when I was incarcerated, uh, I just did another interview talking about how, and I can't remember what it was, but the the uh, the black Muslims wanted to beat me up in prison. <laughs> and um, I don't even know why. I can't remember. It was like one of them had picked an argument with me. And I don't have a problem with with the with the Islamic community at all. I mean, I know some of those guys. Um, I'm not Muslim, you know, but um, this, this guy picked an argument with me over something. Some young convert to Islam who used to be a blood in Colorado Springs, and 
he wanted to question me about something. He didn't like my response. And these guys were acting like they were going to get me. And this was actually one of my transitions into really letting the Bloods know I didn't want, I was not a part of that anymore. Because the Bloods, even though I had left the game, they were acting like they were going to have my back against these Muslims. And I even had to go to the Bloods and tell them, this is none of your business. I'm not, <laughs> not in the gang anymore. And whatever happens, that's my own business. But then the Muslim guys, they never laid a hand on me. Um, nothing ever happened. But, yeah, no, those those guys actually did try to recruit me when something I was leaving the gang because a lot of African-Americans do turn to Islam when they go to prison. And a lot turn to some turn to Masonic Judaism. There's a lot of different forms of religion um, that people turn to. But I've, 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 I'm more Yahweh than <laughs> Then Allah and and the Muslim brothers know that they know I don't say that in any disrespect. I just I believe in in the Old Testament and I believe in, in in that form of worship of the Lord and that's just where I'm at. Well, another thing we have in common that Old Testament, but uh, I want to find out about that shooting in 1993 when you got shot. In the movie, there was an illusion that maybe the guy in the room with you was the guy who shot you. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, was that ever reported to the police? Hell, I was a prosecutor back then, and I wondered if anybody got prosecuted for shooting you or if you wanted anybody to be prosecuted. No, I mean, at that time, no, nobody did get prosecuted. Um, I was shot in the house, so I don't exactly know who it was. Um, could have been those guys in the room. Um, you know, we've we've had incidents before and, and I don't know how much they want to talk about it, but we've all of us guys in that room have battled against each other before, you know. So in the streets back then, and now those are the guys I call. <laughs> the, those are the guys who helped us lower homicides in Denver for six years, actually, for many years, you know. So um, that group of guys, man, though, you know, we we tell those stories and we laugh it off, but yeah. They were out there. And as far as, you know, me wanting someone at that time to get prosecuted for shooting me. Uh, no, I didn't want. I didn't even think about that. I'm not going to say I did or didn't. But I'm going to be honest and say at that time as a gang member, I can, I'm can. i pretty sure I'm going to say no at that time. I did not. Because, man, the, the way my mind works is I don't deal well with gray areas. Craig, at that time I was a gang member and I did what gang members did. That's why I was in. I was getting shot and getting into fights and going to prison because the better you are at that life, <laughs> the worse your life becomes. And just like when I left that life, I was really, I was really intent on making sure that I, there were no gray areas. I'm not a blood and an activist. Uh, I want to be remembered as a revolutionary more than I want to be remembered as for anything else, um, including running for mayor. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I think you've done a great job shedding your past identity. I mean, it's, exactly. it's a growth experience. And as they say in the movie, that one dude, that Terrence is riding the tiger, and you always will be. It's just a different tiger. And wow, what a tiger you're trying to tame right now. But I want to go back to you getting shot in 93. Did you have to go to the hospital? Oh, yeah, I almost died. I was shot in my back. So I'm just wondering how they hush that up. You come in with bullet wounds. Don't the doctors ask what the hell happened? And... I'm just Man, wondering how up. that gets hushed up. 
I was I was almost dead, man. I ended up waking up Craig a week later, man, with tubes all in. And where? <laughs> at Denver Health? Yeah. So I was at the old um, University Hospital when it was off of 9th and Colorado right. Boulevard See over you. there. See you, medical. Yeah, and, they said and, actually. And so where were you shot? Do you know the address? It was off of, it was on the corner of 35th and Glencoe. Gosh, so I, grew I, up, I grew up 1651 South Glencoe. It's just like your book, The Holly. I still live near The Holly, just a lot further south. You know, the Holly goes such an impactful yeah, street. Same with Glencoe. My synagogue's on Glencoe, too. And now you got shot on Glencoe. That's something. Yeah, now that's where I got shot on 35th and Glencoe, right there in those duplexes. Right yeah. there and. uh they got me pretty good. I almost, I got shot again after that in my arm before I went to prison. Where, where did that happen? Um, just west of Colorado Boulevard around Fillmore Street, um, 30th or 32nd in Fillmore, around there, 33rd in Fillmore. Um, we had a big shootout with some Crips, and they shot me in the arm in the car. Do you mind if I tell you some crime stories? You know that Lefty Martin store on uh -huh. Colorado yep. Boulevard there? Yep. And, and, uh, there, there was a guy at the bus stop rapist. His name was Ronald Smith, and he had committed a lot of crimes, including taking a knife to a woman waiting for a bus right there near the Lefty Martin, forcing sex on her, and I convicted him. And then he was the father of Cameron Smith, the poor guy who got shot for wearing a red hat, and I responded to that on a homicide duty. Isn't that a small world? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that about Cameron's father. You just now taught me something. I, uh, and I didn't even know Cameron, but I know his little brother very well, who ended up murdering himself. His name was Christopher Swain. Mm -hmm. He was actually one of my classmates at, at TJ. Um, but yeah, so. And it wasn't Cameron Smith. Was that Hollywood Raybon? Was that part of your upbringing? Did that influence your life, that homicide? Oh, definitely. Because that was one of the issues. That really turned a lot of people into in Park Hill into bloods. Right. Cameron Smith was just an innocent dude. I can't remember. Was he wearing an Oklahoma cap or something that was red and he got killed for it? It's either a McDonald's cap he was wearing or Oklahoma Sooners. Either one of those two. Um, um, there's kind of it's kind of an urban legend in Denver. What really happened with that? They said the Crips pulled up on him. He went, you know, heads up, meaning man to man with one of the Crips and was beating him up. I think it was Raybon that they claimed. And then all of a sudden, Raybon shot him. But then they're claiming some other guys could have shot him in the car. We did it. We, and I still don't know the exact parameters of what happened other than what they say happened. And they, the shooters differ with their stories. However, we do know they killed him. We do know that he was not a blood. They killed him for wearing red. And, it, it, you know, when Park Hills are pretty scruffy, gruff community, too, it, it is not as bad off as near the as near downtown. It is. That's always been a more rougher inner city downtown urban area. Park Hill is a little ways off of downtown. It's, it's, it's kind of its own little community enclave. But it so, had its, so what you're saying is five points was a little more sketchy than Park Hill. Yeah, they were just rougher. They were Crips right. first. That's the first West Coast gang. They were more organized. Park Hill had more local gangs. Or um, they called themselves organizations like the BOYZs, 
of motorcycle clubs, but they were a little bit older. They were kind of already to the age where they were aging out of gangs, even if they were a gang. So when the Crips formed, they were killing people and beating people like Cameron Smith. If you were from Park Hill, that, that was the Crips west of Colorado Boulevard from the Five Points area. But then if you went to Montbello, they were also starting to form Crip gangs, different Crip gangs and Aurora. So Park Hill was boxed in from different Crip gangs. And those Crip gangs did not like each other either. You know, some Crips were were, were sky blue or, or powder blue. Some Crips were navy blue. And they fight each other, but there were, compared to us in Park Hill, it made it to where it was five of them versus one of us. And even though we weren't bloods yet, after we, a lot of us weren't, but some were, after we heard what happened to Cameron Smith, um, it just really ignited a flame in a lot of us to say, man, no matter, even if we're not a blood, they'll kill us. So we might as well strap up and get ready to fight for the community <laughs> and that's when you became full blood right and and uh, you you had your moniker what was it ck showbiz yeah that's what they ended up calling me and i i didn't become a blood like the day after that but i started definitely becoming a one i want to be blood because after that we were really looking up to the guys who were real bloods because they were so outnumbered and they were wearing that bright red and i say in my speeches to administrators and kids all the time if your after-school program isn't as cool and as artistic and as tough as the Bloods or Crips, you can't blame a, a literal child for going where the bright lights are, where the bright red is, where the bright where, blue where, is. Where, where showbiz is. How did you get that nickname? And it's uh, two Zs on the end, right? Yeah, because, you know, the Bloods went by four and not by three. The Crips went by three, either two or three, depending on the kind of Crip. I didn't. The Bloods went by four. And so that's why they call me Biz and we added another Z on there. So it wasn't three letters, but just acting, just acting crazy, um, fighting a lot, um, getting into incidents, running from the police. I was I was out there, man. I, when I was into that lifestyle, that's what I put my energy, my artistic expression, my anger. All of it got dumped into <laughs> into youth you know, um, delinquency, delinquent activities. So just getting into it with people, uh, getting into it with my friends. It was actually some female friends, some some female bloods, some girl bloods who started calling me show business. And uh, I, I initially didn't like the name because they said it was always some action or some drama every time I came around. So it went from saying, here comes action and drama. Then it was like, oh, that's show business. Uh, then one day it was kind of like at a party or something. It was everybody's just like, here comes showbiz. And it was just like showbiz. And that was just kind of my name. How you old know? were you? Uh, at that time, I think I was 15 years old. Have you thought about the fact that you are now a major movie star in a big production on Amazon Prime? And honestly, you dominate the screen. So maybe those girls saw your potential. No, when it was kind of funny. One of these, uh, one of our old friends from that lifestyle, she was like, "Man, every," and I say, "These are spirits attached, and these are energies and like personalities that we create." Showbiz is a character, you know, um, that I created as a child. Because she pointed out, like everything that we called you guys back in the day, that's kind of your character and who you are today in your forties or fifties. And, and and she named off some people. And, and she named off our nicknames, and I was like, you're right. 
all of those names literally matched who that person is today. But we got those names when we were just teenagers, you know. I know, um, but you you must have always liked the limelight. You're a natural leader. You're running for mayor right now. And some people are shy. Some people like to show off. I mean, nobody forces you to put a microphone in front of your face or let the cameras come on. Hell, you are gutsy enough with your life on the line to have cameras follow you around 24-7. That's showbiz, man. I mean, I had to. <laughs> I was looking at life in prison, and I did feel, at the time, Mitch Morrissey and that, and, and that DA's office administration at the time were railroading me. I mean, the same evidence they were prosecuting me with. It's the same evidence that my jurors seem to exonerate me with. So, um, oh, we're going to get to that because it's one of the most fascinating cases, and I've thought a lot about it. Uh, just because I was an ex-prosecutor, I had nothing to do with you or your case, but I know yeah. Mitch, I know Henry Cooper, I know Alma Stab a little bit. I that detective who was against you, you know, he was just on Dateline for solving. The Feldman case out of southeast Denver, a guy killed his Jewish wife, and he was dogged in pursuing that guy and convicted him. I don't know his name. What was the name of that cop who was there in the trial against you? Do you remember? Davison? Yeah, the, the the weightlifter guy, like you. Oh, I, the, I don't the, know. If he, the guy uh, who's, I who was at counsel table with Henry and Alma. Yeah, I don't know, Detective Dennison. I think that yes, was... Yes, I think that's it. Anyway, I, let's, I let's go back to your life, because you end up doing serious time, and I, honestly, one way you can tell that is you've got those penitentiary arms. How many push-ups did you do in prison? My God. Oh, man, I'm skinny now, but back when I was in prison, they used to have free weights. Right. So you could, as long as you did your prison job for your dollar a day or dollar fifty a day, so me, like when I was at my healthiest um, was actually after I had uh, changed my life and I was in Fremont Canyon City and I was a shower reporter. So I had to go through every building in the penitentiary and clean the showers immaculately because that could get you into a fight with inmates. Um, but I cleaned the showers very well. They respected me. So they kept them clean for me. But I still have to scrub them and stuff every day. And after I got done scrubbing the showers, it took me two hours, three, four hours. Um, if a building was on lockdown because of a stabbing or a fight, I didn't have to clean the showers if they didn't use the showers. They were already spotless, you know. But, um, yeah, once I got done with my with my duties, I can go out to the yard all day, pretty much. I, I had the rest of the day to myself. And um, that was a perfect job for me. And um, so I could just go lift weights. I would go lift weights and. I had a routine, arms or chest or whatever. I then really, man, I would go study. I would walk the track with some friends. That's when I really started meeting different friends who were Jewish, who were Muslim, who were Crips, who were white supremacists even. Man, I met so many different people. I actually got baptized when I was going to that, um, in that prison. I was going to the church in the prison. I had over 250 people come to my baptism from every single gang in the penitentiary. They all came to to show me support because I ended up having conversations. They wouldn't even speak to each other, a lot of them. I spoke to them because I was a shower reporter and I was an ex-gang member, and they respected me. And I just ended up building different relationships, and I invited everyone to come to my baptism. And I wasn't expecting – I thought it was going to be 20 people. That it was people all in the hallway in the penitentiary. 
you know, and that was really one thing that showed me that, man, you know, people who are involved with that lifestyle, even though I'm not involved anymore, they will listen to me and they, res- they can respect me because I have been through really the bottoms of that lifestyle and I, and I represent change and not change to where you have to leave your own hometown or you have to abandon your family is no, I, I joined the gang when I was a child. Now I'm a grown man and I shouldn't have to be worried for my safety. Um, you are a natural but, leader, and, and I, right? But, but let's talk about how you ended up in prison because I studied that mugshot of yours because it was 94. That's when you got a long sentence. And I'm thinking, gosh, I was a prosecutor then in Denver. Do you remember who sentenced you and what courtroom uh, it was through? Uh, I can't remember because I ended up taking a deal. Right. Um, I took a deal because um, I was messing up then. And uh, I had gotten into it actually at that time with a blood gang member. Um, over a $40 Dayton hammer that tightens the wheels on your car. We used to have those those um, low rider wheels in our cars called Dayton's. And you had to beat the knock off the nub on it tight. That's how the wheel stayed on your on your hub is, you know, it got screwed on. So it had these metal hammers that were soft metal. When you hit it, it, the metal would dent, but it would spin it and tighten it. And I broke it, and this guy, he was like 6'6". He was actually there when I had to defend myself against the sun. It's so weird. Um, So he had been laying to get me for all these years. And I had changed my life and everything, but we almost got into a fight because I broke his Dayton hammer. Where did did that happen at? This was actually at my grandmother's house. Okay. Um, Because I was on ankle bracelet living with my grandmother, and I invited these guys to come over. And there was like some younger guys and some women there. Mind you, he's like this big guy, um, and he wanted to fight me over this, and I was gonna fist fight him. I was crazy like that back then. But then he turned around and walked to his car, and I had a I had my gun, and even though I was still from the gang, I still you know got to the point where all the gang members weren't friends anymore. Things had definitely changed. The bloods were hurting bloods. Crips were hurting crips. So I had this gun in my flower pot outside that nobody knew was there. The only people who knew it was there were me and my dad. So uh, my grandmother didn't even know I had it. And, uh, and I was telling him, I was like, don't open your car door. Don't open your car door. Because you, you begin to argue with a gang member. If you don't have a gun and you let them get to their car and they get one, that could be the guy who chases you down and hurts you or kills you. So I have my gun sitting right next to me, but no one knew. And I was saying, don't don't open your door. He's laughing at me. He opens the car door and he reaches in his car. I don't, it, he could have been grabbing a Gatorade or a gun. I don't know what it was. So I grabbed my gun and I and I could have walked up to him and killed him. But I just shot into his car. Our families knew each other. So I did shoot into his car and he hopped in his car and started and he sped away. Uh, then his mom actually he called his mom and his mom grew up with my dad and they or their family knew mine and his mom actually called the police on me and then it just so happens that my parole i, I still went and went back to jail because my parole officer and a group of parole officers were coming to my house anyways and they would have seen us there all hanging out anyways and i would have gotten arrested However, when they got the call, they all came with the police and I got arrested and I was charged with that incident and previous offender with a weapon. But he did not. I took a deal and I probably could have gotten off, but I did take a deal that time because I was guilty and I did do that. Um, But he was telling other bloods that if I went and shot at him, he was actually going to go grab a 38 that he had and he was going to shoot me. (laughs) Is, is, Is that guy still alive? 
Yeah, he was there when I had to defend myself against Hassan. He was standing right there with that group of bloods that day. Wow. This was years later. He was there that day. And how many years did you go to prison for? I did 10 years off and on. I didn't do 10 years straight. The longest stretch I did was four years, and that was after that incident when I changed my life, actually. Main and time, I I, yeah. I, I don't spend a lot of time in prison. It's been there occasionally. certainly never incarcerated, but I would see people come through the courts and you'd look at them and say, that guy's been working out. I mean, do you do the same thing? There's a different look to people who have penitentiary fitness. I mean, you guys get really big because I suppose that's about the only thing you can really do. I'm, I actually weigh more now than I did then. When people are more cut up with muscle weight and they have a smaller midsection, they look bigger than they really are. Like, You'd be surprised when I became an adult how much bigger me and you are than NFL players. <laughs> right. I mean, you guys, yeah. uh, describe your physical transformation, and did it happen in prison? It did happen in prison because before I went to prison, I had got shot. Right. And I was living in the streets, and I was, you know, you know messing up and running running around, not sleeping good, not eating good, eating 7-Eleven nachos, drinking Kool-Aid. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was very skinny cause I was getting very sick cause not only did I get shot in my back, but it, it ruptured some intestines in my stomach. And so I have back and stomach. It's like, I got shot in my stomach as well. Cause it went through my back into my front. So, um, I was always getting sick, going to the hospital. I was having physical therapy. I was really messed up. Um, um, I, I didn't really heal my body until I went to prison. And was able to just not be in the streets and eat better food and um, really rest. Like, you know, I don't believe in just locking people up for any infractions or unfairly. However, I am one person who can say prison really because I made it that way for my own self. I was able to use that experience to heal my mind, heal my body and to really put some knowledge into myself that I that I lost after I joined the gangs, because once I joined the gang, I wasn't focused on school. I was focused on making sure I got home every night. You Do you know, keep a, working it, out now? Because you're still, you have massive shoulders and arms, and it, it stands out in the movie when you see you in person. You look different than the other mayoral candidates. Do you maintain your weightlifting? What do you do? Actually, I'm trying to lose some weight, if you notice. So on the documentary, I was not in shape. I was actually... Because now I was a grown man, and I'm from a diabetic family. My grandmother passed of diabetes, and pretty much so did my dad. He was very diabetic, and he passed the COVID. But um, um, no, so what I'm doing right now is I do intermittent fasting. Um, I really try my best to lay off of the carbs. I eat a lot of you know, kale, spinach. I eat a lot of more leafy green foods. Um, I eat eggs. If I want something hot and that kind of has a meat texture, I eat eggs. You know, so um, do you work um, out? Have, do you lift weights anymore? I don't do, I don't do any more weightlifting. Um, I if I work out, so I have those perfect push-ups that you could get from Walmart, where they spin when you do a push-up. That I'm 46 years old, and my and when I do use those on a regular, I haven't been using them the last few months because I've been so busy and exhausted campaigning, flying in and out of town. Doing, I mean, I, when I came from New York a couple of weeks ago, I literally hopped off the plane. I came from DIA, hopped in the shower, 
I had three debates that day and a meet and greet that day. Getting off it's the plane. It's hard to be a City. movie star and a mayoral candidate <laughs> at the same time. It's a lot of work, man. Um, um, movie star part, not so much yet. I am starting to get recognized in a lot of different places. It's kind of weird to me. I'm not used to that. But no, I just mainly do push-ups. I try to eat better. Um, when it's hot outside, I do do a lot of laps around Washington Park, um, um, Cheeseman Park. I don't really do a lot of jogging. I do what's called hit training for like every now and then. For 30 seconds, I'll run as fast as I can. So my body is just used to running. Um, but mainly I just walk, man. Walking in a, bet, in a good diet without keeping your body stuffed with food, that's the best exercise. The, all that lifting weights, that stuff is not good on your joints. It's not necessary. I'm not trying to look like a Hollywood star. I just really want to be just healthy with low blood sugar. You'll look good if you're healthy. At your peak, <laughs> how, how much? Gonna... At your peak, how much weight could you bench press? The most I could bench press was those was three fifteen. That's the three forty five plates on each side. And did you? And I could do... did, did you guys compete behind prison bars at weightlifting? Guys way stronger than me competed. <laughs> at, at 315 is like good prison exercise weight for somebody. Three big plates on the side. That It took me years to get up to that, and I can only do that like once or twice. But, man, you got guys in prison who are just naturally – some of these guys are from farms, man. You, you're talking about some cornbread-fed <laughs> white dudes and some brothers, man. Them dudes are six, seven, six, eight. They'll lift that stuff for practice, you know what I mean? So right. they, they they squat a thousand pounds or something. So man, they were bending the bar. Like I look good and I was in good shape for my body frame and where I come from. But some of those guys, man, they're they're fresh off the street, especially guys who are using drugs and and they get cleaned up. And back then, it, we called it man in the can. They have this substance called creatine, <laughs> and mm -hmm. they sell it in big jugs. And once those guys come from the street, some of those guys were professional prisoners. They get out, go smoke crack, do whatever they do, come back in there. And, man, in a matter of weeks, they get a jug of creatine. They start working in the kitchen. Um, and they like they, – you could tell they, they were really institutionalized. But these guys were hulking monsters, dude. Like I don't care if you're bitching 350 pounds. They could hurt you if they wanted right. to, just man to man. You know what I mean? So yeah. I didn't really get involved, but I did play basketball. I still play basketball sometimes too, just so you know. But basketball was a sport for me. If I I have to play it a lot to be healthy, because if I only play it once every few months, literally the next day I I'm like, oh man, I might I must be ninety years old. <laughs> like I can't even. It hurts so bad because you. I mean, you have to really be healthy to hoop. So that was also a way I, I kept my weight down just playing basketball, but I haven't been able to do those things really within this last – I announced my candidacy last April 9th. I have been going, going, going almost every single day since I announced my candidacy for one reason or another because of the Holly, um, my candidacy, debates, just whatever. Me still organizing, it's been a lot. Your hoop skills are probably diminishing. Plus, you're getting at an age where it gets a little difficult. I sort of retired at age 43, but back in the day, I used to play a lot against the police. We had a great DA team with Henry Cooper, one of the stars, and wow, he was a great guard. But we'd play against Reverend Kelly occasionally, too. 
and we'd be guarding each other because we were about the same size, but that guy was rock hard from being in prison himself. He's got those muscles, but I know Leon Kelly, one of the stars of your movie, and it's something else, and I could talk hoop all day, but the most impactful thing to me about your prison experience is you describing your realization of Martin Luther King, who the man was, what he did. And then in the book, there was more about Barack Obama and how that inspired you. Tell everybody how you got your mind turned around to the point where you stopped being a gang member, you stopped being a convict or a criminal type, and you said, there's more out here. Did those two guys help turn it around for you? Yeah, no, um, I was literally in the Denver County Jail and like I said, on the documentary, I have watched a PBS special um, about Martin Luther King, and I've seen his speech, I have been to the mountaintop. And I had never heard that speech, and I grew up on 29th and Pontiac. That's literally just one block off of Martin you're, Luther King You're Boulevard. talking about the speech he gave to the Memphis sanitation workers the night before he got assassinated? Exactly, and that's what intrigued me, was the fact that he predicted his—no one still talks about this— this man literally at the age of 39 predicted his own death less than 24 hours or around 24 hours. It could have been a little more, but I'm thinking it was less than 24 hours. Right. After he predicted his death, he was assassinated. Who even Jesus didn't do that. I mean, come on. Who has done that? Name one person in history who's done that. You know, so um that really intrigued me. I was like, I never knew this. And how do you predict your own death 24 hours? Before it happens. I mean, Tupac, nobody did that. Right. So um, I started I got the autobiography of his life and it was a big, thick book. And I read through it. And then I've I seen a different side to Martin Luther King. He kind of gets judged like, oh, he was soft and Malcolm X was the tough one. And there's even African-Americans who judge Martin Luther King like he was too soft and more of the angry activist type. But I've seen a different Martin Luther King. I've seen him more of as a revolutionary who was trying not to be angry and trying to do it a peaceful the right way but then i started seeing him before he died growing more his anger and his dissatisfaction with with the presidential administration at the time and what was happening and he went from just marching in montgomery and doing bus boycotts actually he started protesting the vietnam war and he had planned to march on Washington, D.C. and was going to shut down Washington, D.C. And then it would have shut down our government. And that's why I feel he was truly assassinated, was more so when he got involved with more, more international politics, especially the war in Vietnam. And then what he was planning to do with his growing influence. At that time, he could have brought hundreds of thousands of people to surround the White House, which is kind of what we did January 3rd. I'm um, July 3rd of 2020 when I was arrested erroneously for rioting, for protesting for Elijah McClain. A lot of those those concepts and a lot of our organizing, even here in Denver, I, I, I got that off of Martin Luther King. I got that off of Malcolm X. So, yes, Malcolm X, I studied him. I studied the Black Panther Party. I mean, I studied a lot of different people, you know, um, and not everything they believed in, I necessarily believed in, you know, but I believe in revolutionary action. If that's the only power that people have to fight tyranny, fascism, um, racism, anti-Semitism, you name it. Sometimes it gets rough because 
Do you remember? Do you remember who killed Martin Luther King? I mean, yeah, James, James Earl Wright. Right, and his background. Do you recall? I don't recall his background, but I do know that the FBI has now made apologies for their involvement in his death and Malcolm X's death, which says a lot as well. Because <laughs> now that means it just—it wasn't just James Earl Wright. It was James Orray and other nefarious governmental forces. I'm not sure about that, but but I do know James Orray was a convict. He he had robbed a Kroger store in St. Louis. He was doing time when he escaped the Missouri Penitentiary, found his way to L.A., started hanging out with George Wallace supporters, that bigot from the South. There was... Uh, a group of people in California who were down with that. And then he started tracking Martin Luther King all over the country. I don't dismiss that the FBI had it in for Martin Luther King. We know that from well, the Hoover up. files, right. And if I was wrong about that, I'll admit it. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, uh, there are a lot of theories about what happened, and I'm not an expert on James Earl Ray and all of that. Uh, yeah. I, I know a little bit. And and I, I'm open to this possibility, and we will get to your uh, activism on behalf of Elijah McClain and those causes. And I did an Alphabet Boys podcast. Have you heard about that uh, new uh, uh, podcast, which has exposed how the FBI did some crappy things to the uh, racial justice movement in the wake of the George Floyd murder? I know you've been busy, but... They, they had a, a white ex-con infiltrate the racial justice groups, and now it's all come out with some amazing sound recordings. And some of the most violent stuff that happened after George Floyd was really stirred up by a white guy that the FBI was paying to stir things up for the racial justice side. Have you heard about this? Yeah, not only have I heard about it, I was actually one of the ones targeted. I was having huge arguments with those guys during some with of that our that guy, Mickey? Did you meet him? Yeah, I, seen it. I was organizing the events that he was coming to, Jeez. and I was arrested for those events. God. I'm surprised that podcast has it, which I don't need to talk to them, but I was literally not only targeted in the Holly, but then when I um, took some of the reins of the uh, Elijah McClain movement, because I was asked to step up and provide leadership there, um, and then when we made it an international thing, um, Mickey was at some of my events and trying to cause problems. And I was literally, it's in the book, The Holly. I was literally, I mean, we almost had some, some pretty serious issues around um, him and other people stirring up violence. I got arrested for that, Craig. Nobody's saying that. I was no, no, that's two right. Have you had a chance yeah. to listen to that 10-part podcast yet? I actually haven't had a chance to listen to the 10-part podcast. But just know I was one of the targeted individuals there and it was at my events I was arrested for that he was instigating um, some of that nefarious stuff that happened. And I was literally fighting against him and I still got arrested. I was arrested for things he instigated based off of my organizing because we were moving the crowd. That's fascinating. Do you know Trevor Aronson, the guy who put that documentary or that podcast together? No, sir, I don't know him. I haven't listened to it yet, but yeah, I was just giving you a yeah, little he, bit of he background. Yeah, he doesn't say your name, but I, I figured you might have known, and sure enough, hell, you knew this yeah. white guy, Mickey. What could you say about Mickey? Did you size him up as a 
an informant? Um, I didn't know necessarily if he was just an informant or if he was just some young, angry, you know, like, you know, we do have like a lot of young, angry anarchists and a lot of homeless youth and um, a lot of people who are just, and some of these people come from prominent families, you'd be surprised, but um, especially a lot of those uh, socialists and communists in Denver, they're mainly ran by young Caucasian kids who some of them had ties to white supremacy then they don't want to they they're like gang dropouts from white supremacist gangs and now they love black people and brown people it's all kind of a lot of kids with trauma man it, it, it was just a, another street gang a lot of it and yes i thought he was very strange person he seemed very angry all the time he was very negative and i thought it was very strange that he was driving around town in a big um, Bruno, I mean, a big hearse. Right. <laughs> it, it looked it looked very weird. He seemed weird. But then we were also doing things with different organizations, and it wasn't for me to pat down and and you know do do a background check on everybody who was there. Because if you're able to bring hundreds or thousands of people to events, which at that time I did have that ability to do, um, working with these other organizations, you're gonna come up with all kinds of different people. It's not a lot of upper middle class people who are going to come block a highway with you. You know what I mean? You're going to get the the Mickeys <laughs> and people like that. So we had a few Mickeys actually um, amongst us at that time. Uh, what happened it, it, Julian captured 2020 within the book and the documentary, but there should be just like that guy has that alphabet podcast. There could be a whole nother Holly documentary type of situation or book based off of what happened to us in 2020 man uh, that was another situation where i was organizing every other day we were doing something man. holy cow we well, what a life you've had and we haven't even gotten to the mayoral race but the thing that stood out to me was your attempted murder trial which is depicted in the holly and honestly, if if it was listed at DraftKings, you would have probably been a ten to one underdog in that case going in. I mean, initial oh, yeah. coverage of it, it seemed like you were caught cold. You just shot a guy at uh, the opening of your Freedom Courts, isn't that what you called them? And the, the remaking, the peace. the peace courts, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and anyway. Uh, it hinges around the story where Terrence Roberts, who had come out of prison to be an anti-gang leader, you were making great progress. The Holly got burned down in a gang action, and rather than get violent, you preached peace. You you preached basketball. Gosh, I love that kind of message because basketball is my favorite sport too. So. It was all going cool till what was the day that you shot Munch and tell everybody your side of what happened. Well, I mean, people can easily go look at the documentary or read the book and see that I have witnesses to show that I was, in fact, threatened. I was being called in a snitch by men who well, were let, let, let me just short-circuit this, because at the end of the movie and at the end of the book, I'm glad you were acquitted of the attempted murder. I do believe that self-defense was at play, so I don't doubt you a bit but it didn't all become clear until later and really at the trial that the truth kind of emerged, right? Maybe you knew the truth mm -hmm. all along, but it would have been mm -hmm. tough for my uh, friend Henry Cooper to know all of the truth, don't you think? Yeah, no, I don't. I'm not mad at Henry for doing his job. 
he didn't even come the day I was found not guilty because I think he kind of had an inkling that I was not going to uh, be found guilty. Um, but yeah, so I'm not mad at I'm not mad at Henry for doing the job. However, there were witnesses to the fact that I was being called a snitch, um, and I was attacked. And, and I do feel like the district attorney's office went extremely hard on me, especially after all of the work I did in the community. And, it, and there's about two dozen gang members on camera coming onto my property attacking me and about another 40 gang members and just community people laughing about it who were still on the south side of 33rd. And it's on a police halo camera. <laughs> right. And, and, and we, we watch it in the movie. It was a scary yeah, situation exactly. for you. And uh, exactly. So so I felt that, um, you know, they were treating me a little bit unfairly. However, um, I did know um, I did know that once once the, the footage was actually seen and couldn't be seen yet because it was part of my evidence, law enforcement did not turn it over to local media. And I was not speaking to local media at the time because of a lot of people in Denver don't know or understand this, but the Denver police. I mean, they really have a stranglehold, and I'm not against law enforcement, but I think that there's too much nepotism and cronyism in our in our powers to be in Denver, municipal powers and law enforcement powers. And yes, a lot of the women who worked at Fox 31, Channel 9, all of the news stations, they were either married to or dating the same police officers who were working with those bloods. It's a very wild story uh, who, who were working with these bloods as informants who ended up telling those younger bloods to assault me or pretty much kill me because if 25 bloods come to assault you once they get the kick in your head you'll be lucky you make it out of there with your life or or, or your teeth so you ended up shooting this guy what was it four or five times right and no and it was actually it was not five times how many times it was only twice okay. that's the biggest mistake i made in this whole thing is his uncle because of the tubes in him and all the things his uncle, I only shot five bullets out of my gun total, and not all of them hit him. But in my in my trauma at the time, in my anger, thinking I'm doing life, his his uncle did a Channel 7 interview. He said that. So everybody started saying I shot him five times. If you go watch that documentary, Craig, go watch all of the different news through and through. They say I shot him in the back. They say I shot him in the side, in the chest, in the neck. If you count up how many times and places they said I shot him, you think I shot him 10 times. Go watch the doc again one of these days. I only nicked him in the neck when you see him flopping his own body down. So he he never even had a trachea in his neck. The doctor testified at my trial to this in my transcripts. He was nicked in his neck and, and, and it lacerated his neck, but it didn't pierce his neck. So he fell on the ground. And that's when he turned himself over because I was about maybe 15 feet away from him. And when I was walking up to him, he was still talking to me. He was coherent and talking crap. Really, that's why I shot him again, because it was so many bloods around me. I didn't know what was happening. So, yes, I did shoot him while he was on the ground. And that's the shot to his chest that paralyzed him. But he was not shot five times. I erroneously said that because of media coverage. Um, and he was not shot in his back. And just like you talked about that 6'6", dude, don't let him get to the car because he's going to get a gun. When you saw the threat of all those bloods calling you a snitch, you went to your car and you got a gun, right? Exactly, because I know 
I mean, I, I for better or for worse, I did grow up in the streets. And do I mean, you're you're ex prosecutor, you know, man. Most most crimes of violence, especially in the streets, are in and or around a vehicle. That's where the guns are kept. That's where the drugs are kept. That's where they. You can't walk to a drive by. <laughs> Got right. drive to a drive-by. Right, but you know your, your, I mean? so, your fear is, did you think you were going to get shot or stabbed or just anything. beaten to death? I mean, all of the above could have happened. Uh-huh. They had knives, guns, and they did leave that knife there. I did find that knife there when me and my DJ pulled up. They had a knife and this half-eaten rotisserie chicken with a note that said, bitch, a Negro, snitch, a Negro. It said, bitch, ass nigga, snitch, ass nigga. Mm-hmm. And I put the knife in my pocket. And I and, and that's another part that I know was confusing for people. After I had to shoot Hassan, yes, I did get angry. I didn't shoot him out of anger. I shot him because they were trying to assault me. But after the shooting happened, yes, there was some anger there, and I hit him in the face with the knife that I found when I pulled up. And there's witnesses to what happened to me, too. Like, I'm not making any of this up, and those bloods know it. And even after the shooting, you could see those guys passing weapons on camera, running around doing all kinds of things, but they were leaving notes in my office previously. So now that you guys are calling me a snitch and it's established, stay off of my property and we're not getting along. Um, I will come to my office in the morning and we pull out my chessboard or something, or I have a meeting and we sit out front. And then in between my, um, the boards on my table, they'd have something folded up and I pull it up and it's a note from the bloods with a bunch of singing G gang writing, calling me a snitch. No, I, I, I get it all now. And I think everybody does if they read the book or they watch the movie, but at the time this was a big day, right? Uh, the, the building and your hoops were getting, uh, shown off to the world. There were TV cameras there. And then you shoot this mm-hmm. guy. And did you think it was unfair for you to be arrested? For that, no. Well, I, I mean, I have to be. I mean, at the time, I'm not going to hold the DA's office or the police accountable for doing their job. I mean, I did just shoot somebody, and nobody knew. So I'm not mad at the police for arresting me. I mean, if I was a police officer and I seen a guy standing there with a gun and a guy laying on the ground, right? Shot. Of course. I mean, none of those things I'm upset about. Now, after and, and are you upset with Mitch Morrissey filing charges against you, attempted murder? Well, I mean, am I even upset with them initially filing their charges? No, because man, I'm I'm intelligent enough and I'm understanding enough to know when it first happened, who really knew the truth. If you have powerful news agencies saying I shot him five times, uh, people do. Do you know that I was in the county jail for that weekend? It happened on the Friday. I got out that Monday, Monday or Tuesday. But for those days. I had blood gang members and, and uh, crip gang members and law enforcement sheriffs in the jail sliding articles under my door where local media and law enforcement, they were literally letting Carl McKay speak to me and my character. And he's on camera telling those bloods to assault me. And there's even a guy who's talking to Julian behind the curtain telling Julian we were in Carl's shop calling Terrence a snitch and planning his, his assault and his murder. Right, and That's Carl, Carl McKay's big character in the book and the movie, and kind of your nemesis takes over your office once you get arrested, along with Leon Kelly. But I just want to get back to this prosecution because I'm thinking, gosh, what would have happened if I was assigned your prosecution? I would have picked Man, up that. 
You probably, probably be doing a hundred years right now. <laughs> I'm just no. You probably would. You probably would have got an L too. That's <laughs> <laughs> like we'll when I talked O.J. Simpson. <laughs> I told O.J. I thought I could have convicted him. No, that guy was guilty. Okay, so I want to felt bad. I do about believe OJ, I do believe O.J. was guilty. But uh, O.J. said to me, he said, "Silverman, we won't know because you weren't the prosecutor, now were you?" And that's true. And I wasn't the prosecutor of you, but. I'm thinking about Henry Cooper because I know the dude and I like him. He's my basketball I'm buddy, not right? But but I'm you were you you were so mad in the movie when they added habitual criminal charges. That's a powerful portion of the movie. You get on that elevator, you've just found out that they filed the big bitch against you and you think it's so unfair and you go off on Facebook, etc., and your dad, your dad was the guy on the movie saying, son, what are you doing? You're calling out the DA, and then you got a little mad at me because promoting your parents, I said, who threatens the DA? Well, Donald Trump is doing it now, and you did it. You did it on a case, and you got a not guilty verdict, and we're talking now. You're running for mayor of Denver and uh, I, tell I everybody why. Yeah, yeah. Tell everybody why you got so mad at Mitch Morrissey for adding habitual criminal charges. Well, for one, I did not threaten him. I no, said, you didn't threaten him. I, I apologize no, I, for yeah. that. You okay, just yeah. did some name calling, right? Yeah, which is which is fine. Right. I, it, it, it's fine for somebody to just call Terrence a big old fat head. That doesn't mean I have a right to punch them or get them arrested. Now, when you're assaulting someone, when you're telling someone to hurt me, that's different. Um, I get disagree with running for mayor. I I have to shoot a young man. You'd be surprised the the stuff I see about me online that I have to ignore every single day for now a decade. Um, So I felt like because of my situation, because of what was said about me and my anger and the fact I was looking at life in prison because I could have gotten convicted. You know, this is not just an open and shut self-defense case. I understand all of those things. Um, but, yeah, I, I was critical of the Denver police, and I still am. <laughs> and the prosecutor. Ways. I mean, that takes and some chutzpah. And your dad, who loved you and worried about you, thought, gosh, this is counterproductive. The people with all the power and my son's talking shit about him. And how is that going to work out? Well, that's fascism when the people with all the power can't be criticized. Not, I'm going to hurt you. I'm not pulling a Donald Trump having powerful politicians for the prosecution. I didn't even have that kind of power. Uh, and I knew I had shot Hassan, but they, no one was listening to the fact that I, it was a self-defense situation. And, and I felt like him adding habitual criminal to the fact that I was just being critical of what was happening to me was it, it was an abuse of power. It is a and that was a form of fascism. I, I can say what I want to say, like I told my dad. I know, I but let's just take this through for a second because I filed habitual criminal charges against people uh, with some frequency, and my policy is I'm not going to make up any felonies you didn't commit. That's your record, and if Mitch Morrissey thinks you just attempted to kill a guy at a very public event, and you have this bad criminal record, why the hell shouldn't he utilize those laws in a violent crime situation? Well, because I didn't even fit the habitual statute, we felt at the time, because of 
the fact that I have been far removed from criminal activity and I have even been on Mitch Morrissey's television show twice. And, and he'd come to my events at Safe Summer, Safe Holland. And that's why he knew I was not a criminal. Habitual criminal, like I said in the elevator in the documentary, is for people who are continuously you, doing you crimes. Somebody is selling drugs or stuff, but isn't the guy who's shooting people more dangerous? Now, I know you were acquitted and it was self-defense, and I accept that, but I'm just trying well, to defend Mitch well, no, and Henry if they don't... I, I mean, well, you had. I'm giving you my answer. Sure. I'm giving you my answer. My answer is, Mitch knew that I was far removed from crime, and yes, I had shot a young man. However, if he felt that way, he should have added the habitual criminal charges when I was first arrested, not after I criticized the prosecution, which became a form of fascism. So you didn't think I was that dangerous. When the shooting happened, because you know I'm not a habitual criminal, but now I'm that dangerous because I'm using my voice and you don't like what I'm saying. That is fascism, Craig, and that that that's that's an abuse of power. I think you wonder why people don't trust district attorneys and don't want to support prosecutions, even if they benefit the community or their family, because they see that same mean spirit. And our police and prosecutors that they see in the gang members, if you don't do what they want or say what they want. They'll use their power to put their foot on your neck. And that is how I felt about um, about that prosecution and Mitch Morsey at the time, because Mitch Morsey did know me personally from several community events and he knew I wasn't a career criminal. And also there was evidence that I had a self-defense case, which I was acquitted for. So I understand what you're saying, but I was not trying to intimidate the prosecution and the only reason why he felt those charges on me is because of me using my voice, not me using my weapon. And he didn't like what I had to say. And after I was charged with habitual criminal, yes, I was, I'm already charged. Why not say fuck him? What's there to because say now? You, you, uh, <laughs> holy cow, your dad, I had to take his side on this. And he loved you and he said... Man, you're lashing out on Facebook, and you got so mad. You said, "Dad, I'm an activist. This is what I do," and and yeah. I get that. But there's a time and a place for everything. And while you, the DA, kind of had your life in his hands, I watched the movie, and I think it's different than the book because I read the book. What was it about three years ago? And after you get acquitted of the attempted murder, wasn't there something with the gun charge and? They could well, have, they, they dismissed it. Right, they, but, they, but, but they, isn't that Mitch Morrissey being nice to you and Henry Cooper? They still had you on a gun charge and they let it go? No, no, they didn't. My So my case was bifurcated. They right. separated my gun charges from the shooting. Yes. And, and my jurors literally wrote a note to almost stop to Henry Cooper and to the judge saying, not only is he not guilty of the uh, attempted murder in the first degree assault, but we're also going to find him not guilty of the weapons case. And they dismissed my weapons case, or I would have just got found not guilty of my weapons case, which I wish we actually would have just had my bifurcation hearing and them have read a not guilty verdict on that as well. Um, but but, they but, but Mitch, Mitch and Henry could have pushed that, right? If they wanted to. I mean, the jury well, no, recommendation jurors, doesn't matter. No, my, if jurors, it was, go ahead. no my, jurors, my jurors literally said they were going to find me. I was found already. I know, guilty. but if it was bifurcated. Anyway, I'm just taking your dad's side because. I, no, my dad's supposed to, You're saying what you're supposed to say. And my dad, as my father, 
was saying what he's supposed to say. But after, and I'll just, now understand my, my point of view, Craig, after I'm already charged with habitual criminal, what does it behoove me to protect Mitch Morrissey's character just because he's a district attorney? I, I don't, I don't think district attorneys should be all encompassing and so powerful. I mean, I know you're an ex district attorney, but I'm not, I could have been an attorney if I wanted to, and I could have been a district attorney. I'm not against district right. attorneys, but nobody should be able to add an extra hundred and some years to someone's charges just because they don't like what they're saying. I feel like if you felt I was such a bad criminal and I shot this young man out of anger and I'm out here shooting people, he should have said, not only am I charging him with attempted murder, first degree assault, previous offending with a weapon, I'm adding habitual criminal charges. We need tyrants off of our streets. But that is not what he did. So it, he it, added those charges later. Out of anger, he added those charges. Out of pridefulness and anger, those charges were added, not for the betterment of the community. It was him just showing me who was boss. And he did. I mean, he had the right to charge me. He did. And my jurors could have said guilty. Have, you encountered, any have, no have you encountered Mitch Morrissey since your trial in person? I, I have not seen any of them. Um I haven't seen my, I actually seen my one attorney, her name is Nikki. They actually um, joined us at the St. Patty's Day Parade. We did the march because I've done all of the cultural events to, because I don't have commercial hundreds of thousands like some of the big name politicians in the race. Um, so what we've been doing is showing up to every cultural event. We had a big showing at the um, St. Patrick's Day Parade and her and her husband came and I had seen them a couple of times um, like a few years ago. Um, before 2020 happened. But uh, yeah, m one of my attorneys came to hang out for St. Patty's Day, her husband and her new daughter. Um, one, Lisa, she's a judge now. I haven't seen Lisa, but I know she is a judge now. Lisa um, Arnold. That, yes. Yeah, she's a judge. So um, I get complaints about her and praises about her every now and then because people see her in the dock and they tie her to me for some reason. Like, your your attorney did this at quarter. Man, I really like your attorney. She was a good judge. I'm like, I haven't even seen Lisa, you know, but um, Have you thought so about the fact that you're going to be appointing judges if you are elected mayor? And the oh, city yeah, attorney? Definitely. You're going to be hiring yeah, a bunch of lawyers? Wow. Are you going to win? Yeah, I do believe I'm going to be in a runoff. Yes, I do. I'm not wasting anybody's time or money. And, and it is because of, so even though I don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to, for for Fox Thirty One commercials and Channel Nine at prime time, like like Johnston and some of my competitors, um, I, I, there is the doc in the book actually fell right in line with this campaign. I didn't know that Gravitas was going to distribute to Holly right now. I was still going to run for mayor. It could have never gotten distributed, but just so happens, um, God has a sense of humor. So I don't have a I don't have too many prime time commercials. I'm running my commercials on Roku on Amazon Prime. On, on, yeah, so I'm 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 running my commercials for my campaign um, on, on more social media outlets, mm -hmm. and people are seeing them. And then the Holly is, man, that's my that's kind of my um, my equalizer for people to take a good look at me. How, is, that, how is the Holly doing uh, commercially? You've gone to New York, L.A. Is that all part of a promotion for the movie? Yeah, well, I went to um, Los Angeles just a few days ago to go interview on. Um, a podcast called Vlad TV is actually like the biggest hip hop related podcast um, in America. Um, and he's actually, he's a Jewish guy himself. Vlad is, you know, but um, um, I went to go meet Vlad and go do, go do his podcast. A guy who used to um, be in a group with Tupac actually interviewed me and Vlad came and said in, um, they love the documentary. 
Um, so that's why I was in L.A., kind of highly related, less um, campaign related, you know, but um, it's doing great. I mean, it's really getting out there. It is a documentary. It looks like a scripted movie. Somebody actually at the Breckenridge Film Festival, a little old man was like, man, you're such a great actor. Where did you go to acting school? This was after the movie turned off and everybody was clapping. And I had to tell them, like, sir, this is not a this is not a, a this is this is real life. He's like, no, that really happened to you. I said, yeah, I'm not an actor. He couldn't believe it was a documentary. He said, it looks like a real movie. I said, it is a real movie. It's just verites. It's not like your traditional documentary, but thank you for thinking it's such an action film that I'm an actor, <laughs> but no, I really listened to that stuff. He couldn't believe it was a real film. I mean, it's fast paced. It's got dramatic tension galore. And, uh, it's just unbelievable. I do want to move on to your mayoral race for sure. Uh, who do yes, you sir. consider your major competitors and have any of them really pissed you off or is everybody getting along? I mean, I think they're pissing each other off more than anything. Um, Tell me about it. Tell me behind the scenes. What's really going on in this Denver mayor race? Oh, I'm good. If you notice... So if you've been watching the debates, have you been watching I've, the I've, debates? I've watched all the big debates, yes. You've done great. Dave, I, I think you dressed better for your trial than you did for some of these debates, but that's fashion criticism. Oh, man. You, you, need, okay. you need dark tides. I got that tides. stuff at trial. For, uh, I, I, I dress the stuff I wore at trial. I got that stuff from the Goodwill just to hurry up and go to court in it. <laughs> I tell people all the time, Goodwill has some good suits. It's okay to buy a cheap suit. As long as it fits you good. You had a but, great tie. Um, you had a great tie when you testified. Let me just go back to that. You must have been nervous as shit when you testified, were you? I mean, yeah, man. You got Henry basketball legend Cooper questioning you. You know, intelligent, young, handsome DA. You know, and uh, you know, my own attorneys were like, "Ooh, Henry Cooper." Dear, you sure? I'm like, man, what happened to me is what happened to me. I can't fight 25 bloods. <laughs> I just can't do it. I can't even fight one blood. I'm not that tough of a fighter. Never. I fought a lot. Never claimed. How to be do you tough think? How do you think Henry did? Did he hit you with everything you were expecting, or do you think that wow, he, he should have asked this? I mean, I think he did as good as he could. I mean, he had to prosecute me. That's his job. I did shoot a young man. Um, you know, but when when it's on camera, me getting assaulted on my own property, I mean, what I mean, it, it and I, yeah, and but, I but, but you, you did have some good luck. I mean, when Hassan refused to testify against you, that was horrible for the prosecution. And the fact that he ends up killing a baby while he's out after you shot him, he kills him even mm -hmm. while he's in a wheelchair. That was pretty lucky for you, don't you think? I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, you could call it luck or you could call it, you know, it, he showed the character of the person who truly attacked me. True enough. Which is him. True enough. You know, and that's who attacked right. me. I wasn't, this wasn't just some innocent high school kid. He was a grown man for one. Everybody keeps calling him a kid. He was an adult who already had a couple of child abuse charges and some homicides. And, and a guy you'd befriended. You took him to the Nuggets game. God, what a conflicted soul he was in that camera shot of when he's wheeled into the courtroom they had these strange rules what they could film or not but that was powerful real life when he gets wheeled in behind you and says he won't testify that had to be one of the biggest moments of your life 
Well, the reason why he didn't testify, which we knew he was going to have problems, was are you you're on trial for murdering a child who beat her to death and you tortured her there were cigarette burns on her no one's talking about what happened to that baby really they're more focused on me but baby nene i'm thinking about that he 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 tortured that little girl didn't he beat her to death because Mm -hmm. her mom came home from work late Mm -hmm. now and our thing was this okay let him testify so are you going to testify that that you were just talking to me that you didn't just threaten me um, call me a snitch and say you were going to come fuck me up, which really is the reason why he got shot. Because if he wouldn't have said that, Craig, I wouldn't have thought I had to go get my gun. If you notice, my gun was not on my hip initially. I left it in my truck. Now, they were threatening me, so I thought I had to have protection. But, man, those guys really caught me. We call it slipping. They really caught me with my pants down. My gun was 40 yards away from where I was standing when they initially surrounded me and threatened me. He left on that bike and came back which allowed me to get to my pistol before those young bloods tried to assault me on his command. But was he going to get up there and counteract my witnesses? Cause you have a whole nother trial coming up where you murdered a baby. So if you perjure yourself at Terrence's trial, then you really don't need to, his life was on the line for killing that baby Him prosecuting me and lying about it um, would have really damaged him, his case. He ended up taking a deal on that case as well, and he got 24 years for child abuse resulting in death. But he could not testify on me, or he would have been he would have purged himself in my trial unless he admitted attacking me or giving the command and trying to before he was shot, or he had to not testify and look at his own life sitting situation. And he didn't. He chose not to testify, so he could testify in his own trial. But he ended up taking the deal. Wow. Good analysis, counselor. You definitely could have gone to law school. And just because you gave me a a little grief on it, I like to push back because I'm a hoopster too. Donald Trump, uh, Donald Trump right now, he's talking shit against Alvin Bragg and Bonnie Willis, two elected state prosecutors. He's saying they're racist. He's calling Alvin Bragg an animal, saying he's Soros-backed, which is kind of code for anti-Semitism. And you don't want to be compared to Donald Trump. Do you think what Donald Trump's doing is right? Wouldn't he say, hey, I'm just like Terrence. I'm innocent. I have a right to speak out. Why shouldn't I talk shit? It's my right. I'm an activist. What would you say to Donald Trump? Isn't it kind of the same thing or is it totally different? Well, it's totally different because Donald Trump wasn't uh, assaulted or about to be assaulted with advanced warning in front of witnesses by 25 gang members who were on the crime spree. But he's claiming he's set up for uh, by Stormy Daniels, Michael Cohen, people are lying against him. Of course, it's not the same as yours, but I'm just wondering, you and Donald Trump are among the very few people I know who have really talk shit about prosecutors before their trial, and you got away with it, maybe he will too. I mean, so he might. He's gotten away with everything else. But as far as answering the question, is it two similar situations? Very different situations. Even what I was, even my criticism of the DA's office at the time is totally different than him calling them animals and trying to do a dog whistle to have them assaulted and all of these different things. Uh, it's okay for me to say, after the prosecution, especially if they've charged me with habitual criminal over just words. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have any money paid while I, I'm a, I've never been a millionaire. I've never had my name 
blastered all over the world with buildings and had that kind of leadership responsibility. I've never said I'm going to grab any women by the vagina. I've never I've never denied African-Americans or, or, or Jewish people, Muslims or anybody a right to live in any structure I own because of their skin color like he has. Donald Trump came into this. He's He's been a scandal since I was a child. He's been arrogant. He's been anti-Semitic. He's been anti-African-American. Um, he's been anti-Latino. Um, he's been very... Um, um, He's been very misogynistic against women, which is totally different from me. So Donald Trump having high powered elected Republican politicians, um, having lobbyists trying to get him to become the president again, who's already instigated a January 6th insurrection where people were murdered is very different from Terrence Roberts saying F the DA because they charged me out of their own anger and egotistical um, beliefs about me speaking up about my situation. That's a beautiful condemnation of Donald Trump, and I agree 100%. You know, my politics, and I ran for Denver DA in 1996 as an independent candidate, I'm really kind of in the middle, but Donald Trump gets me going because he is such a bad guy. He's horrible. And I want the Denver mayor to be the antithesis of that guy. And your words kind of assure me you would be. What is your path to victory, Terrence? How are you going to win this thing? I mean, I think right now, minus me having enough money for primetime commercials, I got just as much name recognition in certain communities than some of these big-time politicians. Do you have an organization to get out your vote? Tell me about that. Um, no, my organization is my campaigns. We are the organization. So, yeah, no, I mean, like I said to you earlier, things like the Holly book, things like that documentary, um, has really given me a lot of, uh, a lot of name recognition in the city and circles where African Americans and Latinos have been known me for a couple of decades, but Denver is 50%. Caucasian and a lot of middle class Caucasians too, who didn't really know my name from Adam. They didn't know anything about me or my situation. But just as much as they know now Mike Johnston or Chris Hansen, which I think all of those guys are splitting votes with each other, which is a different conversation. Uh-huh. Um, but when my when those guys' names come up, for way less money, money. I, I think anybody's got a shot, and once it gets down to a runoff, it's going to be spectacular. I think you've done an excellent job in every debate. Let's talk about law enforcement. Since you would be in charge, would Ron Thomas have a shot at keeping his job at chief, or do you have different ideas about how the police department should work? I like Ron, man. He's um, He's been in community a long time. I always see him. You know, um, he's still going to have to interview for his own job. You know, that is very important. And I have not had a man-to-man with Ron um, about what his vision is being the police chief and, you know, if, if he can be under my leadership. You know, so I like Ron, but I'm not guaranteeing Ron can keep his job. Um, there might be somebody else. And I don't want to say her name. There's actually an African-American woman in New York City I was looking at, you know, um, before Ron actually took over for Paisen, you know, because I was definitely going to get rid of Paisen. 
But um, Ron, I like him, but I'm not good. I'm not guaranteeing anybody any positions. <laughs> what about city him. attorney? How many lawyers do you have under consideration? I have a couple, couple who work with me through my trials and tribulations. Um, names I don't, because I can't promise anybody any jobs. So um, who's in the front running right now uh, may not be in two weeks. We'll see, you know, but I, um, I definitely uh, have a few attorneys actually who I'm thinking about. But just so you know, Craig, part of my platform is by my second, by my second term. I think that uh, starting with myself, we should only, mayor should only have two terms in Denver for one. We need to change the city charter, but the city attorney's position is actually something that I think needs to be an elected position. The mayor should not be appointing their own city attorney who's supposed to keep the mayor in check. That's actually an imbalance of power in our um, city charter and our mayoral system in Denver. That is, to me, antiquated and it's outdated and it needs to change if we're going to add more democracy to our city. You've been so generous with your time. What's uh, on the forefront of a lot of people's minds, including my own as a Denver Public School graduate, I went to GW, my mom went to East, my dad went to West. The incidents at East High School, your thoughts, what's going on there, and what could a, a Mayor Roberts do about it? I mean, so, you know, I have to say this. All decisions that are made at DPS um, are through a, a democratically elected school board. You know, so... Um, the mayor's job is to make sure that kids are getting to school safe and not hungry, that there's more money freed up in their home, um, helping out with Excel energy um, expenses. The mayor needs to wrap their mind, he or she, um, around the, the monopoly of Excel. We, we need rent controls. As soon as Governor Polis signs rent control into law at a state level, I've already promised at a municipal level, we are going to opt in in Denver and, and we're going to have rent controls. I think we need more public housing. I think it add more housing stock to Denver. I think the reason why our houses and our, our rent is so high is because there's nowhere for people to live and a landlord could just raise your rent or shut up about it or good luck paying the extra couple of thousand, few thousand to move out of this apartment, moving to a new apartment or to a new house, getting all your stuff. That stuff costs a lot of money. So it's like once you're stuck in a place, man, that, that's a lot of energy and finances to move. So, you know, we need to lower our, our housing purchase prices. We need to lower our rent prices. Um, well, we need some food justice in Denver. We need to, the city needs to work with food banks better and democratize how people in food deserts are getting food. People don't think about this in Denver. Not only do we have food deserts, it's hard in the winter, man. Even if there's no snow on the ground, it's hard on your body in Denver to get out in some freezing cold weather, especially if you're a widow and you're 65 years old, especially if you're a little old Jewish lady or a little old black lady and your kids have moved away. and It's just you, you're in the house and you don't have enough food, you're on a fixed income and you can't go get food. And so we need to think about these types of things. The mayor of Denver needs to be talking about making sure households that need extra income and money can buy their kids a new pair of shoes, can can take their kids on a vacation. It's okay for people who aren't rich to go on vacations. It's okay to have extra money in your pocket. And that shouldn't just be for upper middle class or rich people. And those are the things I'm focused on, using our public safety budget to address the cycle of poverty, which is making kids join gangs because of domestic violence. Is that why you joined a gang? Because of poverty? Yeah, because of poverty, domestic violence, anger in my house. Um, sometimes we were hungry. My mom was a young single mother. She had her struggles. We were in public housing. I'm saying we need more public social housing with on-site services. 
we already have public housing. We we ha we have people who are running against me that are just still talking about um, affordable housing. Affordable housing. Affordable housing is a buzzword for billionaire developers to keep developing and staying busy. If you're a developer, Craig, once you're done building a structure, you're done. That contract's done. If you don't get have more structures to build, you're out of work. And, and if you're a developer, I'm pretty sure your your your, your bills are probably higher than Terrence Roberts' bills right but, now. But, but isn't, isn't the real building project uh, the one that uh, your dad eventually did? Thank God. I mean, your dad's the star of the movie too, and I liked him very much, and he loved you, and he turned his life around. But if his if your dad would have been there for you as a kid, that might have alleviated the poverty. And maybe you would have taken a different path, right? It could, yeah, that I mean, exactly. That's exactly right. But my dad so, wasn't there. Right. My dad was pretty but, much but, a gang member himself. You'd agree that one of the major jobs of the mayor of Denver is to make this a safe community for everybody, right? Definitely, and I think that starts with attacking poverty. Crime comes right. from poverty, and 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 my platform is. Attacking poverty. I, I'm I'm definitely not out here yelling defund the police. I, I don't I don't think it's something that's realistic. I think that we got caught up in the fervor of saying it um, during 2020. I don't think it's a realistic thing. And I think and I'm the only candidate in this race saying crime is actually rising in Denver. And I'm the only one who even knows homicides statistics from the last few years. We had 88 homicides last year. We had 96 homicides in 2021. We had 95 homicides in 2020. And even though we had a drop of a few homicides last year, we've actually had a record number of homicides of youth in Aurora, over 50 homicides. And those youth are youth that are being pushed and displaced out of Denver. The poverty isn't changing. It's just being pushed around. See, I've been I'm around the a while. Right. No, but, but, yeah. but I just want to say that I remember when there were over 100 murders in Denver. And one of the things we did in 93, we had a special session trying to get handguns out of the hands of kids, kids like you back in the day, right? And yep. uh, Nashville just happened with a woman with AR-15s. Denver has an assault weapon ban. I think guns are a big problem. Do you? Yeah. I mean, I think people not only being able to have a gun to murder people is a big problem, but also people having mental health issues thinking that they need or should be able to murder somebody. That's also an issue, too. You know, you can. Uh, the availability of guns is an issue, of course. Um, but there so, are people so who that's, I know that's who, kind of what I'm getting at with the mayor, Terrence Roberts. You went and got your gun out of your truck that day to save your life. And the jury accepted that. So how could you be a good messenger when we're trying to get people to put down guns? I mean, um, I also believe in self-defense. Right. I don't believe that only the police should be able to have a gun either. And I don't believe in that. And I'm not going to be baited into that just because I'm running for mayor. Uh, I mean, it, it, guns are necessary. And, and I do believe um, I do believe that people do have a right to self-defense. I know people who own 100 guns and they've never shot or harmed anybody. And I know people, as soon as they get a gun, they they're not, they can't wait to go rob somebody. I've, I've done time, too. I think it's more of a mental health issue because guess what, Craig? I'm not against us banning assault rifles. I may be more forward than, than the governor. There's a chance that if that would have gotten passed, it's not even in the new gun legislation. 
um, that, you know, Polis probably would have vetoed it. I, he so, was on my podcast and I gave him shit for it. I had John Morris on. He lost his job as a, a legislative leader because he stood up to try to get guns out of the hands of, of kids in Colorado. So exactly. I've right. been I've been look at what happened to me for stopping gun violence. Mm-hmm. So all little things that I support, you know, I, I have to say, though, my focus is more so on targeting where the violence is coming from. In Denver, most of our violence and shootings are youth violence related and poverty related we we don't have the italian mob or the jewish mob this is not gangs of new york no one has 50 kilos of heroin like in philadelphia Uh, we have a crime problem but for the size and structure of our city i'm the mayor who's going to say let's target where most of those shootings and crimes coming from oh it's coming from our youth there's some domestic violence homicides there's some shootings that are happening in encampments but the bulk of our shootings are youth violence related I ran a quality after school program that was nationally awarded for 11 years. We dropped gun violence in Denver for six years, and it is directly attributed to the work we're doing with have running quality after school programs, making sure that our kids felt safe. They felt like children. They could be funny. They felt artistic. They picked the colors on the Boys and Girls Club. Those colors on the Boys and Girls Club, if you go look at those colors, those are the same colors of my mayoral campaign. The kids picked those colors, you know, so... And, and guess what? Those kids felt like being in Prodigal Son was a lot cooler and safer than being a blood. Because those are the same kids who, a lot of those kids in that documentary who had already became bloods, I was working with them as well. Um, just talking to them, giving them time, space, positive activity, um, inviting them to come with us as long as they could behave themselves. And some of the ones who participated stayed alive. They're working jobs right now. And guess what? Some of them, like it reported in the documentary, some of them, they were murdered. They were killed. And they killed other people, too. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that it's more so targeting where the violence is coming from. And then after you target where it's coming from, you give better alternatives to the people who feel like they have to be patted down every time they go to East or carry a gun or they're afraid of traveling to and from school because we have a youth violence and gang problem in Denver due to poverty. We've always had poverty in Denver. It's just been covered up very well. Well, I'll tell you what's been uncovered, the fact that you are really smart. And what I like about you, Terrence Roberts, is you grow. I mean, you are curious. You're open to new experiences. And uh, the mayoral race, has it taught you anything? What are the lessons that you've gleaned from it? Because I went through one campaign. It's stressful. Here you are promoting a big movie at the same time. But... What have you learned about yourself and in, in the city of Denver? I mean, I've learned about myself is I do keep riding a tiger. And sometimes I need to uh, take a water break off the tiger mm-hmm. um, because I just keep getting myself involved with high power things. But it's like I can't help it, man. There's big problems and it's going to take big, big organizing and big solutions to solve these problems. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put a dent in homelessness with a camouflage bandana wrapped around my neck, pumping a bullhorn up and down Broadway. I am gonna make a dent in, in homelessness, being the mayor of the city and passing a budget to city council, which reflects my values of hey, we need to make sure people have a place to start. It starts with housing first, and then you can focus on sexual abuse, fentanyl abuse, alcohol abuse. We can't expect people who are chronically homeless to to have an affordable housing unit. That's just not going to work. It doesn't even make sense. The the math doesn't even add up. And that's what everybody 
it's it, it's saying. So I've learned I've, I've learned a lot about myself as far as men. Uh, I, I have it in me. Like we're going against powerful career politicians. My campaign is my my campaign manager. He used to be homeless himself. I'm an ex gang member. The rest are a bunch of ladies who are single mothers. One of my campaign staff members, her son was murdered a few months into our campaign. You know, so I've learned a lot about my own resiliency and I've learned a lot about the city budget. I've learned a lot about how municipal politics work, the difference between municipal politics versus state and federal politics. I've learned a lot. You know, um, I think I've got the most solid platform so much so I have career politicians verbatim using my platform. They're just telling people to vote for them, not me, but they're using my platform. So. Man, I think I'm ready for this, Craig. I think I'll make the best mayor in Denver's history. Um, I'm worried about certain communities if I don't get elected. Uh, I'm listening to what some of these career politicians are saying, and I think it amounts to fascism. And like I said at the forum, at the Intermountain um, News. Um, Intermountain News at the BMH, exactly. BJ's Synagogue. You did a good job like there, I, right? Yeah, On like Monaco, I said. The, right across from GW. I, Go ahead. Exactly. And like I said there, fascism leads to to crimes against Jewish people. The first people that get blamed are actually Jewish people. Black people suffer from more of a racism type of thing, a, a classic historical racism. But when we talk about things not going well financially or this or that, the first people who gets blamed is, you know, is Jewish people. Fascism is not good for Jewish people, black people, Latino people. It's not good for women. It's not good for anybody who can't fight a fascist system. And, and you've seen evidence of that yourself in, in, in the history of the Jewish community. And, and I'm here to fight fascism. I think that we need to make sure that we have a good level headed mayor in office who understands that is not everything I'm promising it's what I submit to city council. I don't care what any candidate says. City council has to approve the budget. And I'm saying we are going to add more to our budget for housing. And we're going to focus on preventing crime versus just uh, prostituting people after Craig has been robbed or after you're hurt. No, we want to make sure no one wants to hurt Craig, even in the first place. Well, I like that. That so, I don't want to get hurt in Denver. I love Denver. And uh, I like that and you are too. a native son trying to uh, do your best for Denver that's going through a time of trouble. I think you've got a great shot, Terrence. You've given me a great podcast interview. If you're in the runoff, will you please come back on? Maybe we can do a debate with the other person who makes it. Oh, I, I, not only do I believe, but I have a great shot at making the runoff. So anybody who listens to this, Vote for Terrence Roberts to do my own platform and not someone else to do my platform if you have a progressive mind. Um, and when I'm in the runoff, I definitely will. I appreciate you putting me on your podcast now. I mean, this is important. People are paying for media attention like this, Craig. So for you to put me on your podcast leading up to to Monday's election or Tuesday's election is I mean, that's a gift. That's, that's a gift. So, that you it's only because you're a movie star and a great guest. I mean, you <laughs> are you're very candid, and uh, I enjoy speaking to you. I learn a lot because you know a lot of things that I don't. And uh, I hope you appreciated my discussion about, you know, what was the DA's office supposed to do? And I, I took it in. It was the timing of the habitual criminal charges that bothered you more than anything else.
Yeah, I mean, but I don't blame anybody for having to do their job. Because guess what? While I'm there, if you are shooting people unrighteously, guess what's going to happen? You're going to go to jail. <laughs> I'm not going to stifle the police from prosecuting crimes. I'm not I'm not pushing a hard on crime or soft on crime agenda. None of those things have come out of my mouth. I'm pushing a we need to attack poverty agenda. And guess what's going to happen? We're going to have positive synergy and happy faces in this city. And that's the energy I want to bring to the city and that type of leadership. And guess what? It, it, it's going to work. And I believe in my candidacy. And I believe there's a really good chance I'm going to be not only in the runoff, but the mayor, because I don't see any one of those 16 candidates left, 15 besides myself. I don't see any one of them going against me one-on-one um, with any of those platforms. What is your website? How can people get involved? I've seen your yard signs in Southeast Denver. Where can people get those? Um, they can contact, so they can email me at Terrence at TerrenceRobertsForMayor.com. They can go to my website, um, contact us at my campaign too. Um, and Terrence has our, no A's in it. It's all E's. Am I right? No, it's T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E. Oh, okay. See what I know? T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E. Yeah. yeah. So TerrenceRobertsForMayor.com um, or SaveOurCityDenver.com. Dot com. Either one of those will get you to the same website, but my personal email is Terrence at TerrenceRobertsForMayor.com. T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E at T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E-R-O-B-E-R-T-S dot com. Terrence Roberts, thanks so much for your time. Yeah. Good luck to you. Okay, no, Terrence at Terrence Roberts for Mayor. Oh, Terrence Roberts for Mayor. We'll get it right. Yep. And give okay. that, well, give that uh, Save the City one again. Save the city Denver.com. Save our city Denver. Yes, yeah, save our city Denver. So it's Terrence Roberts for mayor.com or save our city Denver. And to watch the Holly, go to Amazon Prime. It's available there. What are the further yep. plans? Will it get wider distribution after that? Or is this totally an that's Amazon Prime thing? Well, that's as wide as it could get that in stars. CBS, yeah, I mean, NBC. well, Stars is Stars is already streaming it, and that's a that's a major platform, just Sweet. like HBO, or um, so it's getting out there, man. I mean, I'm 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 going to places where people are recognizing my face all over town, and that's the, the whole point of a political commercial or whatever is really getting your name out there. And the Holly has really really helped correct the false narrative about me, and has really um, given me a, a chance to 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 run run for mayor. A chance I lost by having to defend my life. I could have ran for mayor not having to do that in my my trajectory of working, but that did happen to me. And the Holly has helped correct the false narrative about me, it's and it's helping my campaign. Yeah, hell of a book, hell of a movie, hell of a verdict for you. Not yep. guilty, and it's still a movie worth watching, even though you know the ending. And nobody really knows the ending because what's going to happen in Terrence Roberts' life next? Stay tuned. Thanks, Terrence. Good luck out there. All right. Have a good day, Craig. Take care. Bye. Bye. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go. You know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get 
guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined, it's all set up. So there's, it's like the, the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right, and if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Holy cow, we have a big day upcoming on Tuesday. The Denver mayoral election and Donald Trump turning himself in to face felony charges in New York. It was a couple of Tuesdays ago that I went to New York City because Trump promised me he would be arrested. But the best Tuesday of all was last Tuesday. And we dedicate this episode 142 to my new grandniece, born to the star, Jacob K. Remember his episode where he rescued a moose? I sure do. You can look it up. Jacob K. Moose Hero. Ah, yes, it was episode 85. Jacob K. Colorado Wildlife Hero. A thousand-pound bull moose slid off a Breckenridge slope down a window. Enter Jacob K., humble and talented Colorado wildlife officer. Well, Jacob K. is my nephew, and he just gave me a great niece, he and his beautiful wife, Audrey. And this show, episode 142, dedicated to the life and times of a beautiful little girl born last Tuesday, Juniper Eddie K. How's that for a name? Juniper, Eddie K., just like the tree, and just like my old best friend, Eddie. And I had a dog named Eddie, too. What a great name, Juniper Eddie K., this show dedicated to you. I hope your lifetime is full of peace and immortality and whatever you want it to be. Holy cow, immortality. We talk about that later on with Troubadour Dave Gunders. Stay tuned. Thank you. Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? 
I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Troubadour, how are you? I'm good, Craig. How are you? I am enthused about history happening before my very eyes. I was just in New York City anticipating Trump's indictment and arrest. Turns out I was just two weeks early. Yep. So you ready to go back? Uh, would love to do it, Craig. But I, I guess I, I have no confidence he's going to show up. Uh, this next time around. Oh, he's showing up with Marjorie Taylor Greene. He's going to put on a show like nothing that's ever been on Broadway. And, you know, Broadway goes right down there to lower Manhattan. I was just there. Do you know that area of the Big Apple? Well, I've been on Times Square. Is that, you, that no, what you're about? no, no. It's much lower. You go downtown toward Wall Street. Have you ever seen you that governmental area? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I've been down there. Well, there's yeah, the federal courthouse, yes. the city courthouse. They're right next to each other. So when I went to the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, it was there in the federal courthouse. And then right next door is the Manhattan State Courthouse. And nearby is police headquarters. And it's just the government area of New York City. And they are fully mobilized. So if there's shit that's going to happen, and I worry about that, I don't know if that's a great spot for protesters to get the upper hand. They've activated every New York City police officer already. Yeah. Of well, course, they kind of did that while I was there, saying everybody has to be in uniform. There was a big police presence the weekend, uh, or not, the, the, the Tuesday I got there. And you know why I can't go this Tuesday? What you got? I got what you got. I need you got Seder. I got a Seder on you Wednesday. You got Seder. Yeah. They screwed this up so Jews really can't participate fully if you live in Colorado. I suppose I could go for that day, but I got to see a show. I'd like to see a matinee. 
do it all over again, read my Colorado Sun column, which you did. Did you like it? I did. I did. I liked the synopsis of the three plays and the way you ran a common thread through it, which is the, the um, I guess the, 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 the is, would angst be a good word? Uh, the, the, the concern that Jews Anxiety. have? Anxiety. Anxiety, for yes. Anxious. yes. We're Jews. Yeah. Yeah. That's the line from Neil Diamond, right. A Beautiful Noise. Which play would you like to see the most, if any? Well, I would like, um, I mean, from a musical standpoint, I, I guess I'd like to see A Beautiful Noise. Parade sounds good, too. And, and I watched the little, the little clip there. That, that, yeah, uh, and it's yeah, a musical. looked really good. I will say this. I love Parade, but the music does not measure up to Hamilton. Well, that's a high bar right there. Yeah, I know, but I hear it's like number one in the nation right now. Of course, Hamilton was as well. Ben Platt singing, Michaela Diamond playing Lucille Frank. What a story. And I didn't know that story about Leo Frank as well as I should have. But every time I listen to your music, Dave Gunders, this is why you are a brilliant songwriter. Because it feels different, sounds different, depending on my mood, what's going on in the world. And one of your most interesting songs to try to interpret from an outsider point of view is Talking in Tongues. I mean, just that title. Tell us about this song. Talking in Tongues. So this this person is frustrated that he's not being heard. Okay. He says, am I, uh, you know, can you hear what I say? Am I talking in tongues? You know how it feels sometimes you're, you're trying to express yourself and whoever the, you're the, you know, whoever yes. you're communicating with just yes. doesn't hear you. They don't yes. want to hear you. Sometimes they have their you own, during our walk, sometimes we're going to get to that. Yeah. I, sometimes, you know, they have their own agenda and this and that, and you feel like you're not being heard. Am I talking in tongues? But dad, what did you have in mind? The, uh, who does that? Which denomination? Were you thinking specifically of no. people in oh, the church doing no, that? No, no, no. I wasn't thinking of a denomination. Well, it no. is. Talking in tongues. Did oh, well, Sarah yeah. Palin do that? Or? Right, the speaking in tongues kind of thing. Yes. Right. The, the is idea it a play that on that, speaking oh, I, in tongues? It definitely is, yeah. I like talking in tongues better. It's a, an alliteration. But, um, right, talking, speaking in tongues is being, is, you know, this... this uh, being over overtaken, being being taken over by by spirits, right? By right. by the Holy Spirit, right? Um, so to the point where you other other they, these spirits are actually actually speaking through your body, yes. right? Do um, you believe in that, or are you making fun of it in this song? Neither. I don't. Well, I don't believe that spirits come through our bodies, but I don't. I wasn't necessarily making fun of it, but I was using the the example of someone being, uh, you know, talking in tongues. Is it, it, it's unintelligible, right? right. Yeah. So what's really going on in those services? We can watch on YouTube. Well, I think some for you know, I think people need that kind of. Sometimes you need like a transcendence in your life, and I think especially when your life is very very difficult. So you kind right. of you know, I can see people going and just becoming. Um, you know, moved by the spirit and the community around them and their pastor, whoever's, you know, who, who's ever, you know, f- f- firing them up. Right? I like to think I'm your rabbi. During our walks, I brought up a topic and I felt like I was talking in tongues because you were so resistant. Okay, let's hear about that. Go ahead. The you future. Talk about that. Yeah. I said, hey, a guy just came out. He's had great 
prognostications. He's a futurist. And he says we're going to reach singularity by the year 2029. And that means we are, thanks to AI and an exponential increase in knowledge, we are going to become immortal, going backwards in time and all those implications. And all this kind of made you angry. Why was it? <laughs> it didn't make me angry. Uh, no, I wasn't angry about it. I was, you know, I was passionate about uh, you know, my, the, uh, my opinion, which was that, no, we're not going to be immortal. Nobody can see the future. We're not going to become automatons or whatever you, you are when you're mixed with AI. You were talking about some kind of bio. I like, know. I tried uh, to read you the like, article, but let's just backtrack to what you just said. Nobody can predict the future. As my mother future. would say, mushugana. You say nobody can see the future? No, that's why it's the future. There's no expert who could uh, be qualified in a court of law. Hey, I've studied this. I've put together that. Here's my logic. This is what's going to happen in 2029. You don't think of Bill Gates or uh, the late Steve Jobs maybe could have predicted the future better than you or me? I, th I think that some people are more qualified yes. to look into the future and, and lend an opinion. But it, you know what I would liken it to, Craig, is um, let's say um, your stockbroker, okay, or a financial investor. Yes. So, someone who's, whose job it is to be, a, a, you know, abreast a of the markets and what's happening and from a world standpoint to the various economies, all of this. So they're in a position to make predictions. But historically – how well do these people really do? Do they predict the downturns, the sudden falls in the market? They do they predict the a steady uptick when they're you know sitting on cash? They don't. They don't know either. That's my point. The only thing they've said for sure is hold it in the long run and it will work out. And so far it has. God knows what's going to happen next, but. I have to thank you as a great partner of this show, episode 142. I asked you to do something for the show, and you did it. And I'd like to think it was a labor of love, but you watched The Holly starring our guest, Terrence Roberts. What did you think? Are you glad you did? I am glad, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, Mr. Roberts' interview with you here um and and uh i, I thought i thought he was a, a pretty cool guy you know i mean he had a lot of heart for his community uh he's a doer yes he is quite a character and was one of the best podcast interviews i think uh that i've had and i've had some great ones and we were talking about how his dad was trying to get through to him right you and I are of the age of being fathers, probably our biggest priority. And now with adult children and his father, sadly, George passed away since the making of the movie. But he's a major part of the film. And I liked him just because he was trying to protect his son. And Terrence wasn't hearing. I mean, they were hearing, but it was kind of... Are you really hearing me, Dad? Are you really hearing me, son? Am I talking in tongues? Isn't that kind of what your song is getting at? Right. I think that's the frustration that, that Terrence felt. You know, His father was more concerned with his safety, and Terrence was more concerned with being who he is, which is a community activist. Yes. 
I like the line in your song. I like a lot of lines in this song, but in my calm voice. Right. It's interesting because there's been some shouting in uh, Congress. If you watch the Holly, there's some shouting between father and son, and uh, Terrence can get worked up, but uh, sometimes he can use his calm voice, which he has used throughout this um, campaign. Denver election on Tuesday. It's kind of unbelievable, but everybody focused on what's happening with Donald Trump. And this is where your beautiful song, Talking in Tongues, works because there's going to be a speaking indictment, a talking indictment. I was a prosecutor for 16 years. Of course, never a case this big, but I'd let my court pleadings and what I said in open court do my talking because I couldn't do interviews like a defense attorney can. So expect this story to be laid out and expect it to be more than Stormy Daniels, who did get laid out by Donald Trump one night in Nevada, and they tried to hush it up after the Billy Bush tape came out. They said, oi, what's next? And it was Karen McDougal, the Playboy bunny. He had a love affair with her, which is, all right, dude, if you want him, but it's right when Melania's having your baby and then you did Stormy too. You're cheating on your mistress and your wife. Way to go. And so he could not have that come out. He wanted to cover it up. And what they did with the aid of the National Enquirer is catch and kill. They would get these stories and conspire to have the women sign a contract and squelch this story. The problem is Trump always cheats when it comes to numbers. Just like you and I have businesses, you have your renovation business. Give a plug again. Thank you, Craig. Yes. My remodel company is Lookout Renovation. Right. And my law firm is Craig Silverman Law. And if I wanted to deduct $130,000 for my Mickey Hanky Noodle Productions and this show or my law practice and write it off somehow and stay, uh, you know, at the top of the line place, whatever I did just to put in that kind of business cockamamie story, I'm not just uh, covering up an affair. I'm cheating the taxpayers, right? Right. I mean, that kind of thinking it never serves you. No, like no. I mean, if you work at your lookout renovation firm, if you bring in $5 million, but you claim you had expenses of $6 million and you want money back, but really you made up that $6 million number, that hurts the people who really do pay taxes, right? Yes, it would. I anticipate that kind of charge too. Well... Like I said, it's going to be interesting to see what they bring out, what this all. I, I am not quite as enthused as you, just because I've seen him slither and slide and evade all of these things in the past, the Mueller report. I brought up Victor the, Mitchell, who almost beat Walker Stapleton to be the candidate to oppose Jared Polis his first go-round. I saw him in New York, and he told me Trump will never be indicted anytime, anywhere called Vic the other night, and he said, Mazel Tov, because I was right. And I'm telling you, I know how state courts work. There ain't no slithering, but here's the thing I worry about is 
violence. Can, it, it, let me just go back to the lack of slithering. I mean, I suppose it's possible for the DA to dismiss the case. A lot of times, decisions are made in the heat of the moment, an arrest is made, later facts come out, you can persuade a prosecutor, hey, you should dismiss, it's not provable. But here, there are no new facts. They even heard from one of Trump's witnesses, this Robert Costello. Alvin Bragg, the DA, is going forward. He's never going to dismiss his own volition. And I would say the number of cases that get tossed completely on a motion to dismiss, about 0.002%. It rarely happens. There's good judges signed to it. He's already getting run down by uh, Trump because his first name's Juan and he's not, you know, native born or his family comes from Colombia in South America. We know where that's going to go, but I'm worried about the violence because this guy's willing to use violence. I don't know if it'll happen in New York, but he's turning the Michiganas loose. You called me a Michigana, but no, these I are Michiganas with said, guns. No. I said this idea, the futurist right. thoughts. Right. But, but, uh, no, you're no, right. You no, didn't call this, me no I don't call you a Michigana. We already both know that right. to be the case. No, I'm not <laughs> stipulating to that. No, but... Uh, no, the way I mean slithering is you're right. I understand what you're saying, but I can't help but think with his layers of, of attorneys and his ability to appeal, right? That's the slithering nature of, of Trump. So that, I mean, he might be found guilty. He'll appeal. Will, will, will he ever actually uh, you, 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 can, his... you can delay. You can stall. Yes, he'll delay. But eventually it happens. And he'll, eventually he'll die and he'll be delaying when that happens. Right. Well, let's get resolved before the election. I doubt it. Will there be other indictments? I expect so. Will the American people wise up? I don't know. You know, there was a civilized Western Christian country where they took a political leader who inspired violence. I think it was at a beer hall. And they convicted him. They prosecuted him. They convicted him celebrated trial, they put him in jail, he got a like five-year sentence, they let him out after like 14 months, then he was stronger than ever, and that country was Nazi Germany, and if we are as shitty as those people were, then God help us. I thought we were better than that, I still think we are, but isn't that the historical example? Well, you're talking about Hitler being, yeah, being convicted of a crime against the government, right? Being sent to jail. Yes. That's where he write, wrote Mein Kampf. Yes. Right. And then when he was out, he, when he was let out, he was stronger than ever. Yes. That type of thing. Well, I don't know. I don't know. He I don't, was I don't, a lot younger than Trump. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know about the uh, how we can compare. Here's the disgusting thing. My former colleagues, this is where it gets too damn personal. Just we're on a Friday afternoon and they still make excuses for a guy. Did you see what he did at Waco? Troubadour Dave Gunders. Did you see what Trump did with the with the video? Like, yeah, the J six prisoners and him singing made what, the an national album. Anthem? Is they that made it? an album, right? And there he was with his hand over his heart, altered words to our national anthem to benefit the poor J six people. Do you understand the message that's sending now to people out there who say? 
He's saluting these guys as heroes. He's singing songs with them. Maybe they're in prison, but they made a hit record. And now he has his hand over his heart. And if we put him back in power, all these people are going to be pardoned, and we will be too for any violence we commit right now on his behalf. Isn't that the damn message? And why can't a Dan Kaplitz or George Brockler or anybody who's supposed to be a lawyer Corporan, I mean, I gave up on that, dude. But holy cow, now he's going after the justice system. Just like he tried to say democracy doesn't work, you can't trust, you can't trust the ballot box, now you can't trust any prosecution. Prosecutors are all this, they're all that, the courts are crooked. Look at this judge, he's from South America. He's doing it. And, and the lawyers who abet that and allow that to happen on their watch, damn you, fellas, damn you. I can't help but think that uh, fewer and fewer people are buying that story. And that's just, you, you know, you, you ask me sometime to give the optimistic view. I don't, I don't know if I have proof for it, but I just don't see the threat of violence as, uh, as, as serious as it, it was um, uh, you know, two years back. Wow, what a heavy topic. But Passover's coming up. I'm a little worried about violence, not just because of Trump, but because of a decision Trish and I made. Is she home yet? Did you hear her? Haven't heard. Well, there's a surprise. I hope it's going to be okay with you. Because honestly, you know, Ico's getting older. You've seen that. I saw what happened at Sidewinder. And we don't want Skylar to be alone. And you turned me on to this great dog that you told me you don't want Cheese Whiz. Are you bringing home Cheese Whiz to be yes. your dog? Yes. Bless your heart. Is that okay that I took it's, your dog from the a, Denver Dump Friends League? Yeah, it's kind of like dating a you know your your buddy's girlfriend that he just broke up with. It's kind of there's something a little bit foul about it, but you can't really blame the guy, right? You'd get mad if I did that, wouldn't you? If you took Cheese Whiz? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. It wouldn't be anything unforgivable. Would no, he... but I would take delight every time he crapped on your carpet. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but what if he turned out to be the greatest dog? Would you want him? I'd steal him. Tell everybody you've been looking for a dog, right? So I've been to the Dumb Friends League there on South Quebec. I, I got to put a shout out to that organization. So well run and caring people and everything. Anyway, it's been a couple of months since since my trusty Riley died, and uh, I'm out there looking for a new dog. Well, I should say I should yeah. say we because yeah. my wife's so important. And you're looking important. more for an adult dog. Well, we were we were thinking of puppies, but I think we're going to look for some uh, a dog that's a little you know. How many pounds? Well, I like I like a, a good sized dog. You know, sixty, eighty pounds, something like that. In case somebody knows a dog. My right. nephew, Andrew, is a big dog walker. He probably knows dogs. My sister's a veterinarian. You okay. never know who you're talking to I'm putting to it out, out there. there. A dog, maybe one years old, maybe one year or three years old, something like that. I want a nice long life with him. But um, I think uh, a dog that's past puppyhood. I was going to try to pull off an April Fool's joke, but I already warned you that this is an April Fool's episode. Could I have possibly trapped you into thinking that no. <laughs> that you, you were going you, for Cheese Whiz. Cheese Whiz was going to come running in. Poor Cheese Whiz. 
he has a he has a tough uh, he has a a, a tough uh, uh, name to carry around now. Right. Well, yeah. I tried to give him good name Buster when you described him, and I did think I'm good at. Is that part of? What, no, you told me that when I said he looked <laughs> like a, little, a pit, like a pit bull. I went. It to gave the, me pause. It, I went to the Dumb Friends League site, and my God, they have a lot of pit bull mixes. And it's because, yeah, it's because people don't trust the pit bull. No. I can't personally weigh in on, 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 you know, whether that's right to do, but I know myself, I am one of those who just doesn't trust the pit bull breed. Oh. And Craig, let's not forget Mikey, your pit bull. Who clamped yeah, down on Riley's neck? I thought Riley was gonna. I thought Riley was gonna be dead. Actually, I did. He was a puppy. Knock him made him tougher. Yes, but anyway, Mikey. Yeah. Not. I was gonna say a blessed memory, but I think he took a few years off my life because he did have some violent tendencies, just like Trump. That guy's willing to use violence. Back to your song, talking in tongues. We're about to play it, and we have to give credit. To the music, is that you rocking out? Because this is a rocking song. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah. And, but, but who's singing and, and Liz, in the background? Liz Ager is the is the is the She's woman amazing. singing. Oh, she is. She's yeah. And uh, I like working with Liz. And um, she kind of retired from singing a few years back. She became a mama and uh, was busy with everything. So now uh, Rivka is the lady I'm, I've been working with on my project that's about to come out, and you'll hear. Her, but but she has a wonderful voice. But Liz is probably ready to come back too. So two backup singers. It could be just exactly what you need. And then there's my daughters. That's four. But I have to twist their arm to come in and record. You can do it. Dave Gunders, without further ado, our show Troubadour. His original composition, Talking in Tongues. Thanks, Troubadour. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Craig. Trouble getting through Is it my word choice Or maybe it's you Not wanting to hear Tell you what I'll do Lose my calm voice Explain it again Making it Song that I sung 
Now, during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog. And it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Michael Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Hey, I told you that was a great song and a great show. Terrence Roberts, thanks a lot. Good luck in this election on Tuesday. Good luck to America. What a Tuesday we have upcoming, huh? Former President of the United States, arraigned on felony criminal charges in state court in New York, an election to determine the future of my native city, Denver, Colorado. It's all happening on Tuesday, and God willing, we'll be back on Passover next Saturday morning. Happy Pesach to everybody celebrating, from my family to yours. If you like this show, and I know my dogs do, could you please tell a friend, because they can't. Have them subscribe, give five stars. Much appreciated. Have a great week. America, Denver, thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.